It's Trashware time. I'm Gray Holger, here with my guest today, Frank Sturgeon. Hey, Crank. Hello. You know, we've had Crank on before to talk about uh, Myriad Things, our, our voice crack episode, which was uh, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, indeed. That, uh, that uh, you know, when was that, 2019, 18? It's 20-something. <laughs> the year 2000. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was such a, that was a real treat. I mean, I, I, you know, certain points of that conversation felt I was a little out of my league because, uh, you know, my, my discography of voice crack is, uh, limited, but I did have the fortune at that time when, um, when they screened it at, uh, Mass College of Art back in 92, 93, somewhere around there. So that was sort of a, an epic moment for those of us living in the Boston, greater New England area. I mean, it was, uh, you know, uh, put out, you know, with, uh, with help with, uh, Ron Lassard, you know, whom, you know, we all, we all know and love and adore oh, yeah. and, you know, thank God for Ron. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that voice crack episode was, you know, it got our heads going. And of course that segued into the first trash. Yes. So. <laughs> and, and that's, that was going to be my, my next uh, point here too, is yeah. The, uh, the original trash guest and, uh, we had decided that it's, it's time to do another one here. And, this time we're going to dig in on contact mics, something that certainly my Vernon Weapons Enterprise was 100% inspired by Crank Sturgeon and all the wonderful noise devices you make. I, I have always thought it's awesome and I still use, I have too many of my own and still use all the ones that I've got from you. So that's, uh, that's one of my favorite parts of it too, is like different, uh, different tools for different things and just different approaches to making them. And so we're going to talk about different approaches and, and how we use contact microphones and how we record them and all sorts of stuff here. So very exciting. Uh, at least I'm excited and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm excited too. So hopefully everyone <laughs> who's listening is um, it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it, I felt, I mean, I reached out to you because um, I think I was listening to a few episodes and um, you know, it, I, I realized you and I are probably recipients of the same questions, um, probably from maybe even the same people, uh, the folks who listen to your podcast, who buy burden weapons are probably also buying my stuff and, and, and just fielding a, you feel, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of back and forth that I have with clientele and customers like, you know, where do we put it? Da, da, da. How do, you know, what do I need for an amplifier? So I was just like, you know, gray, let's, uh, let's, let's put some pointers out there for the universe, you know, hopefully, uh, harmonize and, and tweak because uh, a good contact mic user is, uh, the world could certainly use more of them. Um, bad ones too, uh, which I can speak for myself. <laughs> <laughs> How to use them inappropriately. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I, I love about them is how, how do you use your contact microphone, you know? So we'll, I guess we'll get to that. But the first thing we have here in this wonderful outline that crank put together actually is what is a contact mic? And it never hurts to ask. <laughs> it never hurts to ask, really. In Futura font too. I, I, <laughs> um, uh, do you want to, do you want to lead on this one or no, shall no, I have uh, at it? Yeah. Go, go um, for it. I, I'll, I'll do my, my uh, reader's digest um, scrunched together. Google doc uh, version. Um, basically a contact mic is a pressure sensor. Um, it, uh, it, uh, when it 
perceives pressure, um, that is pressure being vibration, pressure being weight, um, anything that is exerted onto the, the piezo element itself, it, um, it converts that pressure into electric signal. And that is the sound that we get when it is attenuated through our, our mixers or what have you. So, um, that's, that's the nut and bolts from my understanding. And that's kind of how I describe it when I've done workshops. It's like, it's basically a sensor thing of it kind of in terms of being an electric uh, stethoscope of sorts you know it's got that sensitivity not quite the diaphragm thing but um um in a similar idea of like you know that's sort of the the easy quick way of of telling like if i've done a workshop with with kids who are like uh what is it do and you're like okay it's it's basically you know when the doctor puts this thing on your chest this is what this does, but you can take it and you can put it on a table or a guitar, or if your cat is willing, your cat, you know, and it will <laughs> pick up vibration and turn that into sound. The sort of two parts of it, you know, you mentioned like a diaphragm with a stethoscope, but what we're really talking about is usually a, a like a brass or a copper disc, some sort of mm-hmm. metal, conductive metal with uh, piezoelectric crystals suspended in some sort of adhesive or glue, right? So it's made into like mm-hmm. a slurry and a disc. And those crystals are the pressure sensor themselves, but they, of course, need a, a hot a lead and a ground signal to mm-hmm. output to audio. But also their initial uses and what you find them in, and especially like I grew up in the Radio Shack days, uh, so you would buy them as buzzers. Right. So you would get them there. They are speakers. Your alarm clock has a contact mic in it or the makings of it has a piezoelectric disc in it. That is what makes that annoying sound. Your fire alarm, uh, a lot of cheap electronics, uh, Teddy Ruxpin, you know, any of those sort of things like any toy you might have that makes a uh, kind of trashy sound. Those things usually if they don't have a proper full fledged speaker in it, especially if it just needs to be some kind of a buzzer, then it then it has a piezoelectric disc in it. Um, and. In the Radio Shack days, it was buying them and cracking them out of their plastic housings. I'm very thankful that I have learned that you can buy them in bulk <laughs> without cables attached and all sorts <laughs> of other things. But my earliest experiments with them were certainly bought in a blister pack from Radio Shack with the t- two tiny red and black wires coming out of them and cracking them out of that plastic shell and soldering them to some of that gray Radio Shack cable and whatever plug I, I think I cut the plugs off of other cables, not even thinking, you know, not knowing what to do. And that was like the the humble beginnings of my contact mics. And the first thing you do is scrape it on something and plug it into a pedal. I still do that. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, like myself, you test everything you make. I test every contact mic. I, I solder up and it's always a fun thing of like, what am I going to test it on today? Or what am I going to put it against? Or what am I going <laughs> to bang it on today? Uh, just, just for the fun. And, and that's always nice. Like, you know, you make a bunch of contact mics and then you get to test them out and, and make sure they're going to work for whoever gets them. And yeah. Every single microphone is tested. Um, uh, I, I won't say field tested to the point of, of teetering on, um, you know, negligence or abuse, but uh, every, yeah, yeah, it, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering that, um, the, uh, the, the, the vacuum pack, the little, you know, the little clamshell pack with the, the, the radio shack, uh, I think it was called piezoelectric speaker element. Um, I actually have (laughs) one somewhere in the arsenal. I think I did a presentation with one and I was like, this is where it all began. And people were like, Oh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Holy, Holy grail. I'm like, this is it. And it was the same explanation. It was like, um, actually, you know what? I, I, they later became, 
encased like the little hockey pucks. But back then, um, and we're talking 1991 ish, that speaker element, it had a plastic ring around it and the piezo was exposed. I've seen those as well. Almost was uh, it had its own protective case, but of course you wanted to chip it off if you were going to be sticking it into springs and so forth. But yeah. um, my uh, yeah my experience was those was a roommate was building them and he was all he was all about uh, you know John Cage and etc. And I was like what you know I was just into you know punk or whatever. Um, but I remember you know sort of you know when you're nineteen twenty whatever age, you know, you're, you're a sponge for all information. And so I was gathering like, okay, this is what he's doing. Sounds kind of cool. Seems a little high end, a little avant-garde, like, yeah, you know, not sure. But then a year later, I, um, I was getting really into, you know, noise. And I remember I was using primarily guitar, tabletop guitar with preparations, junk, and lots of distortion. And I sprained my arm somehow and I, you know, it hurt to move one hand. And so, and I had a show coming up. And so I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to build a contact mic and put it um, on. I had a desk lamp with the springs on it. And and I just, I beat that up with a violin bow for the performance. Um, I don't know if I got my three credits worth, but um, at that point I was like, Oh, maybe I don't need the guitar. I just need this, but it was the same sort of janky, you know, cable, I didn't solder it. Or if I did solder, it was with a soldering gun. That was like a flash Gordon pistol. <laughs> I remember those. I used to have a giant Weller, like black plastic housing soldering yeah, the, gun. Yeah. yeah. That and the Radio Shack 15 watt soldering iron you used to be able to buy. Mm-hmm. I always, and I've mentioned this in different trash wars. I always thought I was uh, bad at soldering. And then I bought a good soldering iron and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I can yeah. actually solder. <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> anyone who's listening that's having trouble or thinks that they're not good at soldering, check your equipment. Like, yeah. I, I, it's one of those things I hate to say, but you really do get what you pay for. And if you have a nicer equipment in that regards, it makes life a lot easier. This is if, of course you're yeah. planning on building anything um, yeah. or repairing that, anything. Yeah. That applies to any, anything that needs solder, whether it's uh, you get into breadboarding or you are just trying to fix a guitar cable. Um, I mean, I worked professionally for a company, an audio company, um, basically doing piecework, um, soldering, tinning, soldering, tinning, dot, dot, dot. and it was, um, and really hard on the body. I got to say, you know, your upper, your shoulders, you know, it starts with the tension there and it works its way down into the ulna nerves and you get like wrist pain and, you know, you're sometimes you're misdiagnosed and it was hard. I mean, it's brutal work soldering, you know, you know, whatever it was 40 hours a week. So I vowed never to do it, even though I could build contact mics It taught me how to make really good ones because I knew how to solder and use the right gear. And then 10 years later, I'm like, um, okay. I'll build you a contact mic. <laughs> so that's kind of what I do, but you know, it's all about, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a holistic thing that goes along with, uh, with, with, with any type of electrical soldering work is like, you got to take care of your body too. you know, do your stretches oh, yeah. and, um, make sure you got, uh, and, and I remember you and I had this conversation, uh, you know, a, a smoke absorber for oh, the, yeah for, you know, any solder fumes. Cause you don't want to be breathing that stuff in. I mean, you know, unless you're, you've got like a, you know, you're working in a place with like 40 mile an hour winds, but um, right. my good, studio good has soldering. A, a ceiling fan above. And then I also have the fan, the smoke absorbing fan and yep. it makes such a big difference. You got to put them oh, pretty yeah. close, but it's not that hard usually unless you're soldering something giant. So 
Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I had like ventilation, a, a ventilation system basically in my last place in California. And that was a, you know, it was a big long tube, um, that sucked it out. But, um, cause I was working in, uh, you know, like probably a lot of people in Southern California, your workshop is in your garage. So, right. <laughs> so you, and you can't have the door open all the time cause you know, want your neighbors checking out your stuff. So it's, uh, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm in the dark, but right now, yeah, the the my I have different concerns right now. I was telling Gray earlier, like I just need to stay warm because my new studio is in Maine, and it's a really I I'm rediscovering the value of uh, thermal clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to probably go buy all new wardrobe if I were to go back somewhere cold at this point. It's like, well, when you, you're like, you know, you wear like a lay, I'm sorry, we're, we're getting, we're going on a tangent here. It's like when you're so used to wearing, like, is it a short stay? It's probably a short stay. You know, it's March, whatever it, February. Yeah, I might wear pants, a light jacket, but now it's just like, I think I've got four layers, five layers on, <laughs> plus like some lined pants, two pairs of socks. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Takes two hours to warm up the workshop, but it's all good. Um, but yeah, uh, th- thank you for uh, for indulging us on our yeah right <laughs> right choices and soldering situations. <laughs> it's all relative. Um, but um, I think we kind of touched on the general applications of the of what contact mics, you know, what the piezo element. Um, what it's, uh, what it's used for. I mean, I, I, I jotted down a list. I mean, when you're on the highway or freeway and you see the weigh stations, that's the trucks are being weighed with, um, piezo giant piezo, uh, elements, you know, I think they're rectangular shaped. Um, but the, apparently the accuracy with, um, piezoelectric technology is as such that it's far more accurate than any digital scale. So they still use, um, piezo technology with weight, um, so that's probably the most industrial application I can think of right off the top of my head. But then again, you know, it's also like smoke detectors, greeting cards, oldish telephones, you know, so all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it, it, like I'm, I find, um, I still find piezos in various, uh, you know, thrift store finds, you know, like, Oh damn, I didn't realize, like you mentioned, I almost, I almost lost my stuff when you said Teddy Ruxpin, because <laughs> like, that had a piezo element in it. And I'm just bringing a very specific performance that Idum Theftable did with a Teddy Ruxpin with his own tapes in it. And its eyes are like blinking and just like clacking. <laughs> like, piezo technology. I think the thing had like missing hair on it. I'm like, oh man, priceless. So Fantastic. <laughs> anyone who performs with a mannequin or, a, you know, a doll of some sort with noise, I'm like you know, you, you, you have, you immediately get a 10. <laughs> there's a, there's that guy, uh, look mom, no computer who made like a Furby organ. Yeah. Yeah. Also, which is incredibly <laughs> terrifying to look at and even yeah. more terrifying to hear when it's going off. But, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Love it, man. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it's, it's strange to think of them. And I, I think you had actually told me about the way station thing before and right. It's, yeah. Pardon if I, uh, if I'm, backtracking on no three-year-old conversation I, th- I think uh sometimes hearing it twice or more can really help sink in the information because i hadn't remembered yep. that until you just said it again i'm like oh yeah i did know that mm-hmm. and it's a it's a crazy application to think of for the same sort of thing that we generally use for noise right but it's also yeah. uh these are crystals and like a lot of crystals you you can grow them you grow your own right so we actually one of our plans before uh everything changed. Uh, we were going to 
do a little like video thing of us uh, in the kitchen together making some piezo crystals. And uh, hopefully one day we can still do that because I think it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, once, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get it, we'll get it going, even if it's an outdoor <laughs> event um, somewhere, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then oh. again, we might get arrested for, yeah. for, for being mistaken for doing some other sort of cooking. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Just need to have it be under the umbrella of another type of festival where that's, you know, strange, odd activity is in question so uh, intently, but. Um, I think, um, I don't know my, my experience, I, I wrote down on the outline, uh, types of piezos and I don't know what's, a. I kind of covered some of that, but I think there's, there's, a have I've experienced many different types. I'm actually sitting in my workshop right now, um, with drawers full of many different shapes and sized ones that are used for you know, occasionally I'll, I'll stuff like one that's smaller than a dime inside a box for an enclosure just to see. And it tends to, you know, it has a much different, uh, sonic relationship than, uh, you know, my, my typical, you know, whatever it is, 35 millimeter size ones. So, um, and then I've, I've used really large basier ones. They tend to, I think you can get them from Jameco. Um, they're huge. Um, trying to think they're like uh, silver dollar sized. Okay. And, um, they have a very small crystal element, but, and very thin brass component around it. They pick up brace for bass frequencies. Like you wouldn't believe, but I think they get, uh, it's to the point because not everybody's sound system is the same. They tend to sound a little flappy, like a flat tire. Um, if you're, if you're punching a bunch, you know, if you're putting it through a bunch of whatever speakers that just can't handle the low, um, it can, it can sound a little wacky. So I don't really use those so much, but they actually make really good underwater mics. Oh, nice. I, I have uh, the largest ones I kind of standard by are the 50 millimeter, which are roughly two inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are, they are, they do work great in water. I like to put them in something uh, like a singing bowl or like a metal, t- you know, tub or something. And you can get some mm-hmm. really cool sounds out of that. But I would love to see larger ones because that sounds really wild. I, I I think that the 35 millimeter, the sort of inch and a half ones mm-hmm. are for me, at least they're, look, they're what I, you know, grew up with for lack of a better term and that roughly that size. And they're really great and perfect for noise applications because the, the size of the disc isn't such that it's easily breakable. And that is the thing. If you sever a connection between the piezo crystals and the metal, or if you break off a part of the piezo crystal on top of the disc, then uh, your contact mic's not going to work quite the same. And it's not going, and you, you might actually hear those two halves of broken stuff rubbing together, depending upon where the fracture is and whatnot. So while you can be rough and mean on them, one of the reasons that I'm sure we both coat ours, or at least some of our variations, is to <laughs> help prevent that damage from happening when being used by. I don't know someone as clumsy and rough with gear as I am or me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, I think it's the, the vetting it and having toured with this stuff so many times and, you know, always bringing, you know, I used to tour with a soldering iron until I finally figured out like that right blend of, of abuse, uh, the amount of silicone or resin or whatever hardening agent I would put on the outside to encase it, um, without losing, you know, the, the sensitivity of the piezo element itself. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, a there's a, I've had a lot of practice with them at this point <laughs> to know what the breaking point is. And I still mess it up, you know, it's yeah. just, um, 
you know, a, like a cracked piezo, I, you know, that can happen. It can even happen in the soldering element if you're applying too much heat and not a lot of people are using um, what I use. I, I, I occasionally will use a, a blowtorch, a little uh, butane torch just to affix the uh, piezo element onto, say, an alligator clip. Okay. But if you hold that on too long, um, that will actually the, the glue and mixture in the ceramic will start to undo and it can actually crack. So um, I, I had to discontinue continue a couple products because they were on like serious clamps that required so much heat that I'm like, you know, this damn thing keeps cracking. It's like, well, you're applying too much heat, you know, to get the solder to melt, you know, all of that stuff, which yeah. is like, yeah, it was give it up, you know, like let it, <laughs> let it go, let it go. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I tend to use thicker ones, you know, like you, I buy them in bulk and, um, they, I've had some people who are like, Ooh, it doesn't sound, they were used to the piezo selling sounding rather tinny. And they're like, yours sound thick. I don't like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just, if I'm going to sell something to like someone, crap, you know? <laughs> I want it to, I want to know that it will last them. And so I've, I've mm-hmm. done some repairs on some when, you know, something happens, I've upgraded, uh, you know, the cables I use, the jack, the, the plugs I use, the piezos I use, like all of those things since I started making them has been upgraded. So it's mm-hmm. one of those things where like, uh, if you replace the head on an ax and then you replace the handle, is it the same ax? Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so like, that's the upgrade path of this thing is where like, it's all the same type of component, but they're all, it's been, it's just changed in the scope that I do it. And mm-hmm. that's only because I think that they, they can be sturdier and, and last longer. I'm still thinking about the ax handle. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, that's from uh well, it might be in the book, but I know it's in the, that movie, John dies at the end. It's what the reference he's like, he's like, he hit some zombie <laughs> with an ax and then the, the handle breaks and then he like the head chips and he replaces it. And then it's like the zombie shows back up later and that's the ax that killed me. And it's like, but is it? <laughs> but mm, good point. Well, I recent I recently broke an axe, so I'm like now you know it got me thinking about because I you know we do have a wood stove, so I'm chopping wood a lot. <laughs> Are you recording the wood while you're chopping it? It's kind of boring. <laughs> Actually, the 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 ice the because it's really icy. As I was telling you earlier, um, and I wear these metal uh, these boots with metal studs on them, not like the little slip on studs, but they're actually built into the boot. And, um, that sound on the ice is pretty nice. Cause it's got a nice crackle scrape, crackle scrape thing going on. So, um, I did try to contact my kid and, uh, after a while I was like, Oh, well, you've heard that one before. So. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I guess the funny thing too, is some things just sound the same, like mm-hmm. when, when Crunching. you're yeah, translating it to, through this element, some it's, it's, you have to find the right sounds. And so I look for oddly resonant things or things that have their own vibration, you know, putting it on, uh, a refrigerator, whatever, for lack of a better example, mm-hmm. or, or taping one to your car and driving down the street and like whatever mm-hmm. vibrations you're getting on, say your windshield, even just from going that fast in the air, whipping over it, sticking a little, you know, cable into your car with your digital recorder or, uh, you know, uh, the oft mentioned oil barrels, like putting on an oil barrel and then dragging mm-hmm. it around and moving it. And also, well, I don't think we're quite there yet for placement, but I'm sure we'll get there. But uh, I think next on the, the we, list, we can fast forward to that if you want, and then 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 dial back if you oh, want. Oh no, but. 
that's all right. I think that'll be a whole thing that we should we should uh, focus on. So, uh, impedance be- uh, differences between mic piezo and line level, which uh, uh, this is one of those things that I'm I, I'm hoping you have some sort of like mathematical data to share. <laughs> you know what? I don't because I I I wrote down on my 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 scratching this afternoon. I was like. Good question, comma, gray. <laughs> I like, I'm going to pass the buck on that one to you and you just lob it back to me, man. Uh, so um, I think in a nutshell, we can say, okay, there's microphones, which is what we're using to speak into. They capture air and they have low impedance. Um, they require something in which to amplify it. Um, then on the other end, there's line level, which is your effects pedals that will, you know, that is a hotter signal, um, that, uh, you know, your distortion pedals or what have you, and your synthesizers, uh, your, your, synthesizers, uh, your tape deck, whatever it yep, be, yep. Yeah. headphone output, whatever it is. Um, Piezo kind of falls in between the two and it, um, it's and what's really interesting about piezo is that it, uh, it, uh, it can be really loud. Um, say if you, I mean, if you plug it into a guitar amp, um, it can, you know, as, as one would, if one were to plug in a vocal mic into a guitar amp, you're going to get a lot of feedback because that is, that's a hot, uh, that's a preempt signal when you're plugging it into a guitar amp. Um, so piezo is going to act similar to a, a vocal mic in that it will, it is prone to feedback. It'll feedback less and feedback in a different type of way. Um, but, um, so piezos, they, they, sometimes they need to be attenuated, you know, with a signal pushed down a little bit, depending if it's going into a guitar amplifier in the case of using it with pedals or and we'll touch on this later too, like working it into synthesizers, it needs to be pushed up um, and needs to be pushed up to line level. So it, for me, I've always seen it as like this in-between land because it can sound great, just plugged in and you're like, ah, scrape, 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 you know, no effects. It's the, it's all about the amplifier. Um, and then other situations like you, you know, if you just, you, you plug it into a power amp, you're not going to get much of anything. So you really have to, you know, again, increase the gain, find a way of pushing it, uh, up a few notches so that whatever you're plugging it into will, uh, will actually register it, especially, um, with synthesizers and so forth. Cause you know, some sense, you know, semi-modular, what have you, they'll have a mic jack in the back and they might not have any way of increasing the gain if it's a, if it's a cheaper, uh, synthesizer. So you're plugging it into it and you're like, nothing's happening. It's broken. It's like, no, you need to like, it, it, it requires an intermediary, whether you're running through a mixer, just grab an EQ pedal. If you have one, I swear by EQ pedals because they'll take the signal, they'll bump it up. You can kind of with a seven band guitar pedal EQ, you can, um, you can kind of tweak the high, the low, the mid, and it'll bring that up to, um, to line level very, very quickly and easily without, um, you know, uh, without having to like add distortion to it, you know, of course add distortion because, you know, it sounds great, <laughs> yeah, but, what you're gonna do. Um, you know, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I see impedance. It's really sort of like, uh, it's my cookie cutter, non-technical, non-number, non-numeric way of uh, explaining it. So, um, but, uh, it, it's, uh, it's gotten me through the world on tour. So, 
great. Yeah. I, uh, my general test subject for here in the studio is, uh, the Ibanez delay. I always talk about the AD202. It's a piece of rack gear, mm-hmm. but it has a switchable input on it that does mic or, or line level mm-hmm. basically. And so you just pull the knob out and it goes to uh mic level. So it has a nice preamp in it to just boost it. So anything getting tested just goes through that. And it's always yeah. loud enough to hear and hear if there's any issues or if there's some kind of a jank, you know, connection, whatever. Mm-hmm. And obviously plugging into a distortion or even having a piece of gear in it, having a preamp just for it. If you're trying to do something a little more delicate, you want to record uh, your violin or something like that, then you're not yeah. going to want to run it through a distortion. Any EQ might not hurt, but <laughs> you know, uh, for, for EQs, my go-to these days is the uh, Kayleen 10 band. It's like a knockoff mm-hmm. of the MXR 10 band EQ. And yep. it's, uh, I think it's plus or minus 15 dB across 10 mm-hmm. bands. So you can end with a, with a gain. So you can actually, uh, really shape some sound nicely. And you can also roll off any of those unwanted frequencies that you uh, don't like. If you want it to sound tinnier, like uh, when a cranks customizes, you can just <laughs> boost up your highs. There's only there. one, but. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who we're talking yeah. about. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who you are, buddy. Uh, <laughs> talking about you. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I can't convey uh, enough how important, like how, how good have, how good it is to have um, an EQ pedal um, as, as a way, especially with contact mics to contour the sound. I mean, they're useful before uh, the effects. They are certainly useful after if you're doing heavier stuff, you've got your, you can have the most craptastic distortion pedal, but if you've got an EQ pedal following that thing, you can really shape that and like, you know, boost the high, the low, the whatever. Um, I'm not going to name brands, um, but you know, it's like, it is, uh, it is very effective. Um, and, and you, you know, there are other ways of turning an EQ pedal into just other things. Like if you get into no, no input mixing and it's just, uh, it's a crucial tool. It's like having a micro, you know, one channel mixer on your, uh, and you know, on your belt. So, um, but yeah, I think for, uh, for more general ambient, you know, just using a contact mic, uh, and you don't want to be, you know, the, the noise God, um, slaying, you know, Odin and whoever uh, you can just getting a good mixer, um, with, cause most mixers, uh, I mean, I'm using a, a nice little, you know, Yamaha, uh, USB mixer right now. And the headroom on that thing, it's, it's perfect for a contact mic. I mean, it's got everything that you need on it. It's got a little, you know, a little bit of an EQ, but the headroom is just fine. I can plug my mic right into it. Don't have to use phantom power or anything. I can just crank that thing, put the the mic on my neck and just growl. And it sounds, it sounds good. So, um, good mixer will, you know, fair amount of trim and gain options and, um, you know, you're good to go. So, and mixers don't actually have to cost all that much. I mean, there's certainly budget ones out there that I wouldn't recommend. Um, but, uh, you know, if you go to Sweetwater or whoever, you know, um, you're probably not going to end up with something too, uh, questionable. So yeah, as long um, as it's not sort to... of a resistance mixer, you don't, you're not looking for something like it, like that to where you're, you're only sort of attenuating signals. You do want something that has right, uh, right. a preamp in it to give some sort of gain and for generally an EQ. Question for you. When was the last time you saw a resistant mixer being used? It's funny because I'm looking at one and I actually have one plugged into my amplifier for testing out microphones, but it's because I'm doing that very thing. And I have not been able to find one. I used to tour with them because it's like no batteries. I'm like, cool. I know how oh, to yeah. my sound, but um, like, 
I have not seen it's a, it's a DOD 240 resistance mixer. I mean, I could probably hurt someone with it because it's just this brick. It's the gray one, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's heavy. So yeah, I have that same one, the, the light gray one. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, a, exactly. it's a great it's thing. Dark yeah. <laughs> but, dark um, gray. yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, that's a, I, I used one gray, so. last time I played on KXLU, I used one because I, uh, I had that in my thing, but I had forgotten that my mixer, because I was playing shortly after a recording session and I, le- I left the mixer at home and just went with my gear case. I'm like, Oh, all my gear is in here. And I got there and no. I'm like, Oh, I don't have a mixer. Well, I do have this <laughs> resistance mixer. So I did a live set uh, with that as, as my primary mixer, uh, which mm-hmm. is not what I would suggest, <laughs> but it absolutely worked. I mean, for my sound, it's, I like my aux sends and uh, I like uh, having EQs on every channel and this and that, mm-hmm. but you can certainly make that work. Yeah. When, when presented with a challenge, you can probably thumb your way through it and be like, all right. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> out of my comfort zone. All right. It's going to be an interesting show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I've been presented with like DJ mixers with that zero EQ and just RCA inputs. And I'm like, I don't have any adapters. You know, when I would be on tour, you know, Eastern Europe somewhere and they're like, they're like well, we, you said you needed a, a mixer and I'm like, not that one. So thereafter I made a commitment to, uh, get, a get a European, you know, voltage, just a small, whatever it was, Behringer mixer. And I would have that just for my, my international trips. Um, just so I wouldn't be presented with, you know, someone who's like really giving me a, a just, I'm like, uh, I, I, I could work with that if I had, you know, my, my little suitcase full of every single adapter ever made, but, um, I don't have that right now because that get, tends to get heavy. So. Oh, I used to take that on tour plus power, power, uh, adapters for all the different countries we were going to and stuff like that. Like it's, yeah. uh, it's oh, just the, the bricks ridiculous <laughs> though. The transformers and just the straight up plug adapters. Cause you're like, Oh, we're going to Italy. It's got, that's got the three prong and this, you know, like you just have to have all these foolish things at some point. Um, <laughs> Can we just do Bluetooth? Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you show up at the gig and you've got mixer on your writer and there's a DJ mixer that they yep. want you to plug that's, into. That's or what something. I was telling you about. It was yeah. just like, oh damn. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't use turntables. <laughs> so maybe I should. Um you do use another yeah. type of gear, uh, which we have here. Look at this segue. I'm I'm really killing it, which is uh field recorders, right? Portable yes. recording devices. Uh these things as far as I'm concerned, have have completely like revolutionized recording, like home recording, because you can, you can, even the newer ones are, you know, you can multi-track on essentially. Yeah. Uh, and even the old ones, I mean, you could just always have one on you to record whatever. It's like when you see those people with a camera slung over their shoulder, every single place they go, I want to be the person with the field recorder slung over my shoulder, like everywhere I go, because you never know when you're going to need to record something. You take it, you can record your gig, whatever. And so uh, yeah, big fan yeah. of these things. I'm on my third mm-hmm. one now and I, it is my favorite. It was recommended by Grant Richardson. It's the zoom H six. Oh, you got the six. I got the five. I, I love this thing. The, like I have the additional XLR input so I can record six channels at once. And I have actually used that to record six contact microphones on one object at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and, Amazing. uh, then you can listen back and make really crazy stereo images or like, you know, mix the kind of focus. And if you're, especially if you're putting them in different placements, which of course you should be, you mm-hmm. can get totally different timbres of whatever it is you're recording. And it's, uh, it's exciting and fun. <laughs> to yeah. Me. The, 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, the H6 is, is uh, I, I, I went with the H5 because it was a little bit smaller. I didn't need all the bells and whistles, but um, yeah, Zoom as a company for field recording is um, stellar. I mean, they've really, like you were saying, it's uh, the last, I want to say like less than 10 years. Um, uh, they're uh, at first I was like, ah, it's they're yeah, I was a task cam man myself. And okay. I was like, nah, I'm not, I, I can't jump ship. Not quite yet. And then, um, yeah, I got the, the H2, the little one. And then, um, yeah, then just started was like, well, actually, this is fine. I'm actually using my original H2 to record the voice here. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so it's, it's there. Um, but, um, but the, yeah, like if you want a little small one, like the, the, I think it's the H1N, um, but they all will take, um, the the smaller ones only take uh eighth inch input. So you have to go into the menu to, if it's a mono input to sort of tweak it and make sure that, you know, you're coming in on both channels, but the zoom ones are, are, are stellar. Um, and close second, probably Sony and Tascam. Um, I've used both of those as well. And even like the, the little tiny pocket recorders that Sony puts out that are, they don't have any bells or whistles on them, but the audio quality for just a pull out and record, put the contact mic in like there's a bird feeder over there. I'm going to record it real quick. Um, sounds fine. So, you know, and it's like, uh, I want to say, what would it be? It's about four inches by one inch across. So it's, these things are small and they have a little USB port. You just pop it in, you know, there's your audio on your computer and you know, it has their own like proprietary compression and so forth on it, but it does not sound terrible. So works in a pinch. I haven't, I haven't used one of those before the, my path with these was the zoom H4N, uh, mm-hmm. right, which right. anyone who has used one of those, I can only say the H6 is so, so many quality of life improvements. Like it's fast. <laughs> There's no loading time, <laughs> checking your memory card. Oh, that's uh, the whole thing. The power on time is like just nothing. You, I can be ready to record in seconds instead of mm-hmm. having to wait. I would have like a 64 gig card in my old one. And I'd be waiting two minutes for it to initialize every mm-hmm. time. And yeah. uh, it's really easy to turn the channels on and off into link channels if you want a stereo image and separate gain controlled knobs for every channel. So quality of life on the H6 is much better. And in between those, I got a Tascam DR100 Mark II. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, but it uh, it didn't have quarter inch ins. It only had XLR. It wasn't the dual jack on it, which mm-hmm. is a little unfortunate. And it just wasn't what I was looking for, even though it was very nice. So I ended up uh, getting rid of that one. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because with those, there's, I also get um, to kind of, you know, uh, as a parallel conversation, I ask, I have customers and, you know, musicians, artists, what have you ask me, like, how can I record this into my phone? And I think at this point, um, everything in like, you know, my new iPhone doesn't even have the, uh, it doesn't have a, an input anymore on it. It just has a lightning adapter. So I, I used to use, I think it was iRig had a number of different interfaces where you could plug into smartphones and you still can get them to use, um, to plug into your iPad, for example. Um, uh, but they also, you know, I, I think with, you know, with the Apple products, as far as the phones go, I'm sort of like, I don't know how to do field recordings is insofar as bringing in hardware onto yeah. that without having to like get, you know, a tangle of uh, lightning adapters and USBs and all this stuff. So I kind of, 
I think at, the, at this point, you know, maybe three years ago, I could have had a better answer for that because I had an older phone <laughs> three phones ago. <laughs> um, but uh, I think now, you know, I, I tend to when I'm talking to people, I tend to steer them more towards um just getting a field recorder and just having a separate component from your phone, because also like, you know, phones outdate themselves so quickly and getting, you know, little bits of hardware for your phone. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, wait a year. Um, whereas like, like I was saying, like, I still have my little tiny H2 here that I've had for over 10 years and it's fine. I don't do a lot of serious recording with it, but I could um, use it in a pinch um, once the SD card loads. Right. But, right. <laughs> well, I still have my mini disc here uh, with the awesome. external and battery backup and it works. Yeah. Actually speaking of batteries and, and external batteries, one of the smartest things I've ever done. And I, I read this on a forum. I cannot take credit for my H6, I got a 30,000 milliamp uh, USB chargeable battery backup for it. So I never yep. have to put double A's in it. Uh, it just connects with the, you know, the USB cable and yeah. it's, I don't have to worry about it. I can leave that thing outside recording overnight and it's, I come back and there's like 80% battery left. It's wonderful. It's so that's amazing. Yeah. Nice for but how little it uses. Yeah. And you know, I guess, you know, in that regard, it's better for the environment because you're not dealing with that you know, electronic waste and so forth. So, um, but yeah, no, I've been carrying around battery packs for some time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, just... I, it's a new thing for me. And I'm, when I, I'm always like, why did I never do this sooner? Cause the, <laughs> the mini disc recorder I had had an, like an internal lithium ion battery, like a little, uh, I have like stick gum stick battery. I think they called mm, them. Right. Uh, but it also had a additional thing you could get where you could put one double a in it and you would screw it on to the like side terminals where you would also have to connect it to a computer or whatever it would do. What? So I have this like plastic <laughs> battery case that just has screw on with like uh spring loaded terminals on it to mount to it. Which, so you can, which disc was that? It's a sharp, Oh, like MD280 oh, okay. or something. Yeah. It's, it's a weird one. I don't know why uh, I went with Sharp back then. It was not a brand I think I've ever owned anything of. But. <laughs> I think I remember the Sharp ones. They <laughs> they, they, they they looked pretty sharp, but um, I, yeah, I, my Sony one just, you know, it, um, it, it bought the proverbial farm because it just started to, uh, however many moving parts are inside a mini disc, it started to do that like, and you're like, writing's on the wall. Somewhere I have a DAT man uh the dat walk man <laughs> oh, wow. kicking around um i have it because i still have an archive of digital audio tape the little teeny cassettes that look kind of like clockwork orange but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but i yeah I, and i used to record my radio show back in the 90s on on dat so it was like I'd take it, you know, when I get home, I'd pull out this thing that took about, I think, six AA batteries and would be, you know, you would exhaust them at the end of the session. Um, but I would, I would transfer it to audio cassette. <laughs> so I can have my radio show back on a 90 minute tape. So, wow. uh, the nineties, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, field recorders, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's come leaps and bounds and, I'm going to scratch off the last thing on that part of the outline because I realized um, I was very incorrect when I said uh, why a waterproof contact microphone is not a hydrophone. It actually is a hydrophone because I looked it up because hydrophones... <laughs> 
operate with piezo technology. Oh, all right. Invented in 1914. So look for um, icebergs, I think. So, Um, and then they were used by various navies. So um, for, uh, for whatever means, but I, I was confusing hydrophone in my mind for some reason with sonar recording equipment or, you know, recording equipment used for uh, listening for whales and so forth, which a waterproof contact mic hydrophone will not do very well unless it's in direct contact with said baleen creature or, (laughs) or the Nautilus. (laughs) Well, I think what there is, it's a different application of the piezo crystals for a hydrophone though, right? Because it goes on a, uh, a diaphragm, which is not like copper or something. It's a more flexible diaphragm they connected to. Or yeah, more flexible it, surface they connected to, so it can uh, detect vibrations and movement. Right, better. right, yeah. It's a it's a different beast altogether, um, but I, it still operates with the same um, pressure sensor idea, which is I think you know it's still a piezo crystal in there. Um, my I, I yeah I guess I I confused it with was having a conversation with an engineer a long time ago and it was about um the hydrophone that they were using in their studio um had active circuitry in it whereas uh you know like a contact mic does not have active surgery sur- i keep wanting to say surgery <laughs> active circuitry <laughs> got surgery on the mind for some reason <laughs> um yeah. So I, that was my confusion with it. And, and I, for some reason that little hiccup in my brain stuck until I was like, Oh, I better research that before I start making proclamations on Gray's podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right. That's uh, <laughs> so one cleared, thing cleared <laughs> up that no one would have known about if we didn't tell them. I know. Right. Was wrong. <laughs> I, always a fan of admitting my mistakes before anyone knows. I've made them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's a failure right here. Oops. Didn't do it. <laughs> so I guess, uh, from there we, uh, we can talk about live usage. Yeah. 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 The live approach. I mean, and this is, this was something I think that that kind of, um, initiated my idea of like reaching out to you again. Cause it was like, where, how do I put a microphone? How do I put a contact mic on stuff? Like, what do you use? You know? And you're like, you know, cause I get that question so many times. Like, do I put blue tape on it? Do I duct tape? You know, is it going to hurt it? I'm like, yeah, no, maybe <laughs> could not sure you can use a clamp, you know? Um, but in my, uh, in my research, I just wanted to, um, from, from what I've affixed, when I've been affixing microphones, there are a couple things that, uh, that maybe you weren't aware of. Um, there's this stuff called top stick, um, I which don't is know top you, stick, top stick. You can get at your local CVS or Rite Aid, and it is for affixing, um, uh, hair pieces to your head, um, or wherever you affix hair pieces. <laughs> right, right. But, yeah. It's, you could be, you can put the hair anywhere guys. It's, but, you can, um, you can. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, apparently, um, the, uh, the police and FBI and CIA use it on informants for sticking the, the lavalier, the lav mic to the body. Okay. And, and so, um, one of my brothers is, a uh, works in film and he uses it on remote shoots for getting the microphone to stick to, you know, whatever part so that they can have that microphone stuck to their cheek or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's what we would do, but I don't think that's what he was doing. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's for, for, you can use a contact mic to stick to your body with using top stick or other surfaces. It, um, and it's not so mastic 
that you can't take it back off without, you know, you won't destroy anything, but it will actually like, you know, if you take it and you put it on glass or something, it's like, it's going to be there for a while. All right. Um, and, um, I was working with a marimba player who used, um, he, he was like, he called me up. He's like, I have a, I had a dream about suction cups and I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, can we put suction cups on the contact mics? I'm like, yeah, but there's going to be air between the the cup and the microphone and you're, it's not going to sound as good on the marimba keys. So I started Googling and I found this stuff called suction cup tape, literally suction cup tape. It's a very thin, maybe I want to say, what is that? Like one centimeter, a little bit under that. And it has a sticky side and a suction cup side. And you cut a circle, you put it on your disc and that sticks like a mofo. It's just like, I put that on again. I was like, put it on a glass window that had sleet hitting it on the other side. And I couldn't get it off. I had to like, kind of get like the butter knife and kind of pry it off. And then it popped right off. Yeah. So. A little scraper some, somehow to remove the suction. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But suction cup tape, it was amazing. And you can get it on Amazon. It was like Sewell brand suction cup tape and you just cut your own circles with it. So it was like that. I mean, it worked on every, anything that wasn't greasy or a porous surface. So it worked on sheet metal, worked on glass. I was like, damn. Great. And it, and it's, and it's on there. So after that, you can use the blue tape and the duct tape and then. <laughs> yeah, well, I would, I, I'm very anti duct tape. I'm much, uh, you know, gaff tape is uh, my preferred tape for its reusability and uh, right, right. easier cleanup, much better residue to deal with when you leave it on something. Although sometimes if you leave it on something that gets a lot of heat, it will turn gummy and that can be really unfortunate. Uh, blue tape or any sort of painter's tape uh, kind of stuff usually sticks pretty good. One of my favorites for sticking to surfaces is I keep a hunk of uh, blue tack nearby oh, nice. and you can use <laughs> it to just showed me a big blue smurf <laughs> <laughs> you can stick it to anything uh and it'll generally hold it and you can also use it like around the edges if you want to kind of keep it even closer to it without having a layer of tack between your object and mm-hmm. and your uh, microphone but my go-to 99.9 of the time when i am affixing a contact mic to anything you know bigger than a bread box is there's at the dollar store near me, there's these Mm -hmm. little spring loaded clamps that have little red, like plastic dipped ends. And I just clip them onto everything. And if it's bigger or I'm going uh, meaner and I want it to Mm -hmm. stay, I I use vice grips. I love putting vice grips on things. (laughs) It's just my go. Like you really want to pick up that thing. Like when I'm putting stuff on the oil barrel, I use a combo of like vice grips and, Mm -hmm. and these spring clamps. And I have some like, Home Depot, super industrial spring clamps that if you like put in your, you know, if you snap it on your finger, you're going to lose that finger. And those also work <laughs> really well, but nice. blue tech tape and, uh, and spring clamps and vice grips. Those are, those are kind of my go-tos for affixing. Excellent. I, th- I think we covered a full spectrum cause mine was more on the, the lighter, you know, not, um, you know, sort of out of the way means of sticking and yours is like, fuck it. I'm going to use a clamp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I just think that uh, like, especially for some of the applications I'm doing, like say I'm recording an oil barrel or something, I want, I want to get some good mic placement. So if I'm going to do like the rim of the barrel, then a clamp is perfect because it'll pick up the vibrations. It's still there. Also, it adds a little heft to the sort of something in contact with the mic itself. So the vibration of say the vice grip is going to, augment the sound you're going to get a different mm-hmm. sound yeah, with yeah. that um versus something with a spring which uh, i'm not sure that it can absorb much of the sound or it has much 
interactivity, but mm-hmm. uh, I generally, I generally like to do that. Also uh, for my personal use, I've been permanently affixing mics to things that I know I want mics on pieces of sheet metal and stuff. <laughs> I will have a little template and I'll drill three holes and put three screws in it. <laughs> uh, okay. Right on. Yeah. I was going to say, how are you doing that? Yeah, so. yeah. Just, I got, I got really thin, uh, like machine screws and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, nuts and I just screw them down and yeah. I'm also a big Loctite fan. So mm-hmm. everything gets Loctited and it just stays on forever. Yeah. 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 The permanent fix. I yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a piezo way to do and it. a jack or something. It's I can, I can lock tight it to something. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. The thing about piezos is you, if you're careful, you can actually drill, um, not through the ceramic, but through the brass circle, you can, you can punch a hole through that without actually hurting, um, the disc. You just have to make sure, like we were saying earlier, not to crack the piezo element. Cause I've, I've certainly popped holes into the uh, done exactly what you're saying where um i was like you know what this like i built like a noise helmet that had like a you know like a i think it was like a door spring from a porch door in it and it was swinging around like jason newstead's hair back in the metallica days (laughs) and um so that thing probably uh had you know i probably bolted that thing in there in addition to copious amounts of hot glue so <laughs> like hot nothing glue is that. another uh <laughs> secret savior in this studio and my mm-hmm. i found some of my earliest soldering experiments and they're coated in hot glue <laughs> it is embarrassing i'll send you a photo of like Please one do. of the first things i built and i'm just like what was i thinking <laughs> just just what you do i guess yeah no no totally uh, yeah like the amplified birdcage costumes or whatever the hell we were building back in the nineties. And was just like, yeah, it was like just this blob of glue. Um, cause you know, and just, that's what we had, you know, like, okay. Um, it's interesting with hot glue though. Cause you know, as everyone knows, hot glue really burns. Um, whereas like solder, which is like twice as hot will burn, but it'll roll off your skin. I don't know what's worse getting, I think hot glue burns are still to this day, like my bane. Um, of yeah. course, most of my fingertips are pretty numb from, <laughs> from soldering and gluing. Napalm uh, gun. I know it's, it can be rough sometimes. I've, I've yeah. also gotten fairly immune to it and I do keep a lot of uh, parchment paper around the studio so I can put it down whenever I'm going to be coding or yeah. doing something to where I like, don't, <laughs> it's just, it'll peel right off of that and I don't need to worry about it getting stuck right, to right. anything. Um, yeah. 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 It's beast, but it's, it's very handy. So that is also a permanent, well, semi-permanent fix. If people need to adhere something, there's always hot glue. If you don't have a drill. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was going to say, <laughs> I have drilled straight through the center of contact mics and they still work quite nicely because the hmm. whole cert, you know, the whole uh, crystal area is still conductive. You're not splitting mm-hmm. it in half or anything. So to right. do uh, some very specific mounting on something that was very large, but did not have a large, enough spot on the surface to affix a piezo to right right at at you know say the uh, three points to hold it in sort of a little triangle fix mm-hmm. i i've drilled straight through and put a bolt straight through it the only thing is you have to uh insulate right right because that will become uh, it's going to be contacting both yeah you'll short it out so i've i had to put a little sheath uh like heat shrink around to prevent it from making contact with it thank you very (laughs) well done (laughs) this this can happen i've i've uh yeah when i've had to affix them in strange places i've taken 
uh, metal, you know, like tin snips to, to basically carve away the, the brass so that, you know, it needed to fit into a square space. So, um, you can actually trim right up to the crystal and not lose really that much sonic integrity. Um, so I've had, I've made squared contact mics plenty of times. So, um, great. Yeah, I've just, never just seen just a do one. It. <laughs> 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 They still work. So. Outside of, uh, live in my basement, which was my, some of my earliest sort of experiments was I made some crappy contact microphones with parts I bought at a store or like disassembled from other things. I used electrical tape to wrap it to some piece of metal I found or had, and I plugged it into like a 50 watt gorilla amp in a basement uh, and bash stuff around and listen to the feedback. That was like very much for me. What starting out doing noise was, was like live mm-hmm. thrashing in my basement. I don't have amps <laughs> anymore in my studio because I live in an apartment. But when I had my loft, which you played at behind the green door in Detroit, right, right. I had a wall of amplifiers. We would just turn everything on and plug stuff into it. And you learn very quickly sort of how to deal with uh, contact mics in a loud live setting and in a much smaller live setting. Like I do keep small speakers around sometimes because I want to, uh, you know, mic an amp essentially like people mm-hmm. would do in a studio, but do it in my home. But uh, running contact mics and sound checking with that stuff can often scare sound people. If you're playing at an actual venue or even uh, an underground venue with an actual PA or someone who's there to manage it and they don't want you damaging their speakers. And also it can completely ruin your set if you don't know how to control it and manage it. <laughs> Very true. And I mean, I think we've all seen it happen. I know it's happened to me. So mm-hmm. I th- uh, the feedback is one of those things that you can't really get the feel of without experiencing it in the space and with the system in terms of like a live PA situation. Yeah. Uh, Traveling with your own amp can work for a lot of things for basement shows for whatever. And you know how it's going to react, even though the space can still change. But when you're coming across a loud system in a, in an actual bar venue, uh, that's when I think having the EQ pedal, like you talked about earlier is a kind mm-hmm. of a crucial thing to just know and be able to adjust right at the, you know, immediately after the, the contact mic kind of stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I completely agree. Cause, um, I mean, my last several years of, of playing shows, um, I didn't bring any sort of sound reinforcement, um, with the exception of maybe a small amplifier that had a direct line out that in case there, you know, I needed it, if it was a DIY venue where I was like, all right, you're, you know, it sounds really bassy and flat. I'm going to add this and it'll punch it up immediately. But, um, for the most part, I was, I've always shown up, of course, they were pretty noise friendly venues where the PA was, you know, in the person running the show knew what was up. So, but, um, I really appreciated the challenge of each venue being slightly different, each room being different because you experience your set differently too, especially with, you know, really live raw contact mics. I mean, these are not closed systems of signal feed. This is, this is amplifying the table that it's on, you know, regardless of whether it's like fixed in place or, you know, in a shaker box or whatever, even more so it's, uh, it's going to be activated. So it's like you're unleashing the animal, 
Um, bad metaphor, but you know what I mean? It's, um, it's like you're unleashing the animal and it's like, you know, it sounds like a documentary, but, um, what it, uh, one's ability, one should have the capacity and the technology and the wherewithal, the knowledge to be able to tether that back in, um, to, to wrangle it, to lasso again, more metaphors, but basically to control your, have enough idea of like controlling it so that you can actually release it a little bit more. So that's where like the EQ pedal, the, uh, you know, having, a just having your hand like almost glued to the mixer, um, where that extra hot contact mic is, um, and knowing when to bring it up and bring it down, especially if you're doing multi-source, um, stuff, you know, within the mix, because once you've got all of that stuff going, if you, uh, and, and I think most noisier experimental artists that I know have more than one thing playing through their mixer, um, that can also kind of, um, it might sound great at home with your headphones or, you know, on your home stereo. But once you bring that into a big room, um, with thousand watt speakers, that sound is going to change and is going to utterly transform, um, depending on, you know, if it's, if, if you want it to be loud, then suddenly things can start to interact and communicate and kind of misdirect each other. And there is a tendency, I think, for some people to bring too much equipment to their set, to their shows. And, um, and you end up with the mud effect, um, because you've got the slapback of the room happening. If it's just like a, a, you know, black box type, uh, venue, you know, just bare walls, it's brick, whatever, or cement, or even a basement, um, same thing. It's like, you're going to end up with a lot of, uh, audio soup. Um, and so I think, um, you know, we all have to kind of, uh, I know that I've brought too much to shows and I've also known that I've brought too little. Um, but sometimes those limitations can work in your advantage. Of course, you know, everyone's set is different. Like some people have more composed sets. Mine's a lot more improvisational. Um, so if one thing fails, I usually have like a backup, uh, you know, microphone that will, you know, address that concern. <laughs> so, and which is sort of also why, like when I'm performing, I tend to, I'll have multiples of, uh, just backups or I'll have two contact mics that are kind of similar, but usually one ends up in the mouth anyway. So that's just my thing. Um, and mouth sounds sound really great through a loud PA through a contact mic. Um, don't chew on it, but you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, I think the whole thing is like under, you don't have to have like, uh, full knowledge of what you are walking into. You just have to be ready for basically ready for anything. Um, someone could knock over your tables. <laughs> you know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, what's that strange buzz? Why will it not go away? Um, why did I drink that fourth beer before performing? Um, you know, whatever the <laughs> things that come up yeah. and I'm talking about this hypothetical thing that's going to happen one day when all of this is hopefully a little more, um, calm. <laughs> so, right. Um, otherwise I, I like you will be remembering the good old days of, uh, thrashing around in the basement. So yeah. <laughs> be like, yeah. Well, I had that. So, <laughs> um, I got, I've gone off topic a little bit, but it's still, uh, I think my, my, my point is, is like understanding the, try to get a, you know, when you sound check, get a, get a good feel for what each channel sounds like, especially with live contact mics 
and then get a good idea of how it's going to sound with your other sounds and really listen to it. Cause you know, if, if it's not supposed to be feedbacking, you're going to learn that in the sound check with a PA. Cause it's just you in that room. I don't mean take 30 minutes when everyone else is doing like 10 minute sound checks, you know, yeah. have a, a, you know, don't, you don't have to be a maestro, but you, you do have to understand, um, how everything is going to interact with that PA system or that amplifier to the best of your ability before you, you know, before you hit the stage. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my whole point with live live is just like, you gotta be really, you know, you gotta be on your toes and don't drink four beers before a show. (laughs) Well, that actually sort of leads us to another thing, because I think this can be very difficult live when you're talking about feedback in that context is amplifying acoustic instruments, Mm -hmm. uh, percussion instruments, uh, even a piece of scrap metal. It's, it reacts different in every room with every speaker system. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things to consider placement and also control and how you're using it in your set. Sometimes I know when I'm using a contact mic, one of the best things I have brought is a volume pedal. A foot, mm, so right, you right. can really trim it on the fly with your foot without having to tie up a hand that should be doing something else during the performance, mm-hmm. which isn't always, but it's, you know, it's, it's one extra layer of not having to worry about something. And also it, it doesn't really look that cool is the only problem. You know, you got a, you got like a <laughs> foot pedal down there. <laughs> you're like, wait, where's the foot pedal? Especially if you're running around. So um, I, I have talked about one of my favorite performances I saw was government alpha in, in, I want to say 99. And he, uh, I've seen him do this in other footage, but he jumped on the table and played his pedals with his feet. And it was, it's still to me, one of the funniest things I I've ever seen. think I saw that <laughs> on the East coast. <laughs> really amazing. And will never cease to, to amaze me or, yeah, you know, to it, amuse me. You're actually playing the pedals with your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Um, But like amplifying um, external stuff. um, Yeah. On, on the outline, you know, I, I just threw a bunch of, uh, I, I think I put that on there because I have a lot of questions from customers. Like how do I amplify an acoustic guitar with a contact mic? And Um, my usual cautionary tale is like, if you're going to be performing, make sure you, you understand your placement between your guitar and the speaker. Um, you don't want to be in front of it because that will cause feedback. And as far as finding the sweet spot, you really have to play around with it. Um, cause a contact mic on a guitar, a special, well, you know, an acoustic body of any sort, it's going to feedback. Yes. It's going to resonate. It's going to feedback. Yeah. Anything that resonates is going to feedback. So whether that's a, a horn or especially percussion, um, placing that in areas where if you can mute it or muffle it to some degree, especially if it's, a you know, without, without reducing the, the, the sonic timbre or whatever, uh, I would recommend that, you know, how a drummer will put, you know, blankets inside their bass drum, that kind of idea is like, um, without deadening it entirely, but just know that in any hollow body, um, will, will be prone to feedback. And, uh, the great thing about contact mics is that they do not feedback with the same way that a voice mic will, but, they really love vibration and anything that is vibrating will be 
um, you know, that, that can get really out of control. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's sort of what I, what I tell people is like, be very cautious. Um, if you understand preamps and so forth for an acoustic guitar, because guitar, acoustic guitars have a lot of piezos built into them that they have an onboard, um, uh, sort of preamp built into the guitar. But if they don't have that, then they should start to research, uh, preamps, for their acoustic instrument, um, which I find is really, you know, it's like, that's a little bit out of my realm. Cause I don't do acoustic guitar in that regard. I usually, um, it's just at home and I sing to the cat until she runs away, which is usually pretty quickly. Um, but the song must go on, but I don't use contact mics on the acoustic guitar, um, in any, in any, you know, traditional sense. So, um, but in a non-traditional sense with acoustic instruments, like, uh, piezo element on the headstock actually reveals all sorts of cool sounds. Um, when I've talked to violin players, um, I was like, have you considered just putting the contact mic in the bow, you know, along the hair instead of the acoustic body? And they're like, no, I never thought of that. I mean, you pick up the sound of the bow and then when you pull the bow away, nothing. So it can sound real. I mean, you can also get really scratchy too. So it tends to be more avant-garde, but, uh, <laughs> it's, um, but it can be pretty badass to have a, you know, like, you know, I, I, I've done it myself. Like I'm putting my plug ugly right there on, you know, this big chunky, you know, nugget of a, of a silicone <laughs> microphone and it's right there on the bow and, you know, hearing that hair and so forth, it's just like shred across the instruments rather nice, at least to my ears. So, and, and I'm assuming, uh, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. Probably, you know, your listeners would enjoy that kind of right. shrieking. <laughs> you know, I think that's a, a key so, with acoustic instruments and guitars is to place it, uh, somewhere where, you know, it's going to vibrate a lot somewhere where, you know, you're going to pick up some changes in pressure or vibration, right? Like, like you said, the headstock is a really good place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you, you wrote actually on the outline horns and I have a, like a shofar here, uh, hollowed oh, out really? horn and shoving a 35 millimeter contact mic into the open end of that thing and playing mm-hmm. it sounds awesome and mm. is like one of my favorite ways to record that. And so oh, nice using it for horns at the end where, you know, it's going to translate the vibrations and pick up the sound sounds really good. And actually for guitar, they make, uh, not to discourage anyone who is playing acoustic guitar and might want to purchase one of mine or cranks products, but they actually make, and I have one here, uh, a little preamp with a, uh, piezo stick to put oh, yeah, the, yeah. Un- under the bridge. Uh, and it has a, a quarter inch output jack on it. And these are actually, uh, really cheap. If you go hunting for them online, it has a little, uh, equalizer built into mm-hmm. it and it takes a nine volt battery, but it's a, a stick piezo. And these, I found weird uses for this thing too. So oh, I can only, can you hold that up again? Yeah. I've yeah. only, I've only seen them from a distance and I'm seeing it from a distance again. Yeah. Right. Um, it's basically, it looks like a, a little rod on a thin wire hooked up to a preamp. Yep. Um, and so that the, uh, the, the stiff part of the wire goes underneath the bridge technically of the yes, guitar, right? That's that okay. is where you would right. put it. Uh, oh, that could have so many applications. Yeah. Outside of acoustic guitars. That is why I have one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it kind of looks like a weird thermometer. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's covered in heat shrink too at the, at the end here. So it's like the, the black part, you can tell it's just a, this way it came like this. It's just a heat shrink thing. You did that for, no, I'm, I am a heat shrink addict. I buy the stuff by the roll now and and, oh hell yeah, uh, it is. Yep. I'll show you mine. (laughs) (laughs) Got a roll. Oh yeah, that's great. Got a roll. (laughs) (laughs) We like our heat shrink here. Uh, It is wonderful stuff. 
stuff. Uh, yep, that was another one of those where I was like, I, I was buying packs of heat shrink and then I, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got the thick stuff. Have, yeah. That's, that's a lot. I have, I just have these two. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, pers- I, I have a number of, you know, this is kind of a tangent parallel, whatever to the conversation, but with all the products that I build, I've discovered heat shrink just makes them look really nice. You know, like, yeah. hmm, okay. Put that on the handle instead of like, wrapping it in tape <laughs> it's like it, it really it really upped my professional look with my microphone so yeah plus it also protects them from moisture and so forth um and i wish i'd learned that years ago because um there was a one type of microphone i was using that um had a barrel uh not a barrel adapter an inline adapter a quarter inch plug uh jack on it and um and it was very short amount of cable and i'd stick that microphone in my cheek from uh for like I think I was on tour for about four months. Um, not consecutively. It was like two months, take a month break, then another two months. And that microphone was always in my mouth running into a cassette recorder. And I would, you know, like garble, blobble, whatever stuff into the cassette and play it back as part of the overall mix. The thing started to short out and it was like, it's not the piezo element because that thing was like tough as nails. I looked, I opened up the inline jack and the whole thing, it looked like a battery inside a cassette recorder that you get at the thrift store had just sent corrosion. It was just white powder all over the terminals, the poles where the termination was. That was all my spit um, eating away at the metal until it finally (laughs) short circuited after four months. So it was just like, talk about a live show, you know, (laughs) human spit has enough digestive fluid over time to actually like unsolder uh, a contact mic. So um, keep that in mind. (laughs) Yep. So, um, but, but the whole point with heat shrink, it was like, okay, that actually added a protective layer. So, um, so, you know, the spit and the spit just beads right off. So (laughs) technically speaking, I don't know, needless to say, I don't do that performance anymore, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I don't know, to, to circle back to amplifying external instruments, um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't, when we were talking, I was just like, well, I think if you're, if you're going to be, in, uh, putting a contact mic on an instrument, don't, um, shy away from doing what you think would be wrong. Um, like, oh my God, that's gonna, that's a, that's a, that's, that's not the location. Why would anyone put the contact mic there? You might realize like, actually that sounds pretty cool. Um, when it's adjacent with other microphones happening. So, cause I was thinking, um, I'm trying to think who had someone, I saw an acoustic, you know, it was like free improv acoustic stuff. And they had the contact microphone on the back of the guitar against their body. And you'd think that would have a lot of rubbing sound, but it sounded great, you know? And it didn't feed back to the same degree. And when it did feed back, it actually had more of a, of a bassy hollow thing going on. And, but it was really contained. And I was like, I would never have thought to have put the contact mic on the back of the acoustic guitar. I I couldn't agree more. I was going to actually make the same point that you are here is don't, don't be afraid to put it somewhere wrong or where you wouldn't think try different placements and especially try different placements with, uh, you know, live amplification. If you have an amplifier or something, some speakers to run it through and figure out how it interacts that way as well. And the back of a guitar is, or the bottom of a guitar sort of is one of the places I was thinking when I was thinking of that as 
try it there. See how the sound resonates through the body and what it does to the contact microphone instead of just putting it, you know, at the bridge where mm-hmm. 90% of our people are going to try it. Like try it somewhere strange. See what kind of results you get. Yeah. Weave exactly. it between the strings on the head, you know, like, and, and see what happens there and what it picks up. Like there's, there's different options. You can try so many different things with these. So, I mean, it's experimentation, right? It's it's the reason we started doing this sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in the noisier context, um, I forget his name and and I'm going to hit myself in the head because I'm going to remember his name after we're done talking. But, um, uh, a friend of mine was playing, um, we were playing a show up in Seattle and he had one of my shaker boxes, which is, you know, for the uninitiated, it's a contact mic inside a box full of ball bearings. And, um, he had it permanently affixed to the bell of his clarinet running through his pedal array. And that was his sound was such a showstopper. I kind of hate clarinets. Um, having been in so many like improv things where I hear that squeak and I'm like, Oh, you know, it's something, you know, I'm like, no, 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 not going, you know, I, I really revert and regress into some, you know, um, you know, pupae type state. <laughs> I can't go there, but this dude, it was mind blowing. I was like shaker box clarinet bell. And he was wailing through whatever, you know, like, you know, just the muddy, beautiful distortion. And that thing was like electric. It was insane. Um, did not sound like a clarinet. I was very happy. So another uh, Twig Harper, I saw him play a clarinet through just an EQ pedal with a, with a contact. Uh, no, no. Uh, correction. It was a uh, octave. Okay. And um, very clean sound, but just through the octave. And I was like, oh, damn. Oh damn, that's bowel turning. <laughs> this is back in the nautical almanac days. It's like, hell yeah, man. <laughs> Just right in a on. small room, like <laughs> so yeah. Little the little licorice stick still like can <laughs> can make me grin. The, but, uh, uh, the most absurd I've seen recently is uh Anthony Saunders taped uh, one of my shaker boxes to uh his weights that he lifts while he's playing his set. <laughs> I was <laughs> Who was I talking to? I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was Chris Goudreau. He was like, I'm at a show. You won't believe what. (laughs) I'm like, what, what, what? (laughs) He's doing a workout show. I'm like, what? (laughs) There needs to be more of those shows. Like, you know, a contact mic doesn't have to be on a traditional instrument. So it can be, you know. I don't think you, you know, a, a barbells or dumbbells or whatever they're called would sound good with just a straight contact mic, but with a shaker box. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. All then, right. Then Great. you're interacting with it. Yep. Yep. And when it, when you drop it, cause God knows I would probably drop it if I could even lift it off the ground, that thing's going to make all that noise because it's in a shaker <laughs> box and it's one of Gray's shaker box. So it's probably not going to break. So. Well, what he's told me is that he holds it out uh, and extends his arm and holds it as long as he can until the set ends. And then he's holding it over uh, like a dead stop pedal. So it drops oh. and cuts the sound. Wow. Talk about <laughs> mic drop. That's really thought out. I, wow. Kudos, man. <laughs> uh gonna play me some shows man right i know i know missing it i don't know if i should save this for a proper crank sturgeon episode but when did you start making contact mics like how alongside Mm. of making noise was it it did they 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 were in tandem um the art school 1991 92 i was introduced to contact mics in about 1990 from a roommate who was um, at the time, 
uh, John Cage obsessed and was doing conducting various reenactments of cage pieces in our kitchen with slinkies. And there was this little thing attached to the slinky. And I'm like, what the, what's that? You know, I was kind of coming out of like, you know, rock, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, the, the formative years where you're a, you're literally a, you know, a sponge for any new knowledge, new information. What's the weirder thing? Nothing like that. Uh, you know, I, I gotta be like super harsh and heavy, but like what, what's, what's out there. Yeah. Um, and art school was very formative for me. I mean, I think I talked about it way back along when we were, um, when we were talking about kick that habit, which is, you know, we saw that film in art school to tell, to put a timestamp on it. So, um, so it's the very, very early nineties roommate was playing with this contact. Mike told me how to make one. Um, and then for some reason I injured my hand. I pull, I had like a nerve sprain and, and I was doing at that point, like kind of doing Kefro Fred Frith prepared guitar stuff. And it really hurt you know, part of that agitated, whatever it was, my elbow or something. And, uh, so I went to radio shack, got the little piezo disc, uh, had a broken guitar cable, twisted it on duct taped it. And then I was just like, Oh snap, you know, <laughs> hooked it up to this desk lamp that had springs on it. And I had a violin bow and a distortion pedal and I had the rest <laughs> the Craig Sturgeon was sort of born from that, that and, um, getting, um, my first mixer, which, uh, a lot of us, at the time. And I think Ron might still have his, you know, it was, you had, you got a realistic radio shack yes. mixer yeah. and some of them had reverb. Some of them had a VU meter. If you were super fancy, mine just ran off a nine volt. I, I think it's still in storage somewhere in Southern California. I have it. I never got rid of it. One channel's a little fuzzy, but it still worked. That yeah. thing was just like, those are tanks. Okay. They're, they're, they're classic, uh, huge, huge black rectangles. Well, sometimes mm -hmm. smaller for the smaller mixes, but if you had the eight channel with the views on it and stuff, just these, these, I know, uh, this is, this is one of those pieces of equipment that I associate with, with Aaron Dillaway, because obviously Michigan, he just, he always had those and he went through, I don't know how many of them because they were like, that was what he knew how to work on, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, back in the two thousands. And so those were those things were always around and always battered and they look cool when mm -hmm. they get the paint scratch and they start to oxidize and rust. They just like, they stay <laughs> they don't die. cool and you they don't die. I mean, They're, they were I mean, I'm sure last. Dillaway killed a few, but <laughs> I, I think I saw some in a, a recent video that John Weiss had done. It was like a live performance with Aaron. Oh yeah. And yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure he's still got some working realistic uh, Radio Shack. Yeah, they're still, they're there. still kicking. I mean, Radio Shack. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about it last time too. And yeah. Oh, they just, an endless uh endless yeah. radio shack stories yeah so. <laughs> well but, this uh, one is as, as as a segue to yeah <laughs> right exactly as a as a very smooth transition <laughs> you know last time we talked about a whole variety of things and i think we kind of ended on uh amplifying acoustic instruments with mm -hmm. contact mics and so that left us uh you know with a void we need to talk about the noise approach the the reason that we love these Mm -hmm. tiny little discs with some wires coming off of them. And uh, there, you know, you have a, a question here that, that uh, in the, in the outline you sent way back when, which is why contact mics, not maybe not a question because it's not a question. It's, a, it's designed to elicit a statement, but <laughs> why contact mics are arguably the perfect noise instrument. And like, th th that's, that's it for me. They really, 
it's the best way for me to generate sound on any given day. Like I love synthesizers. I love any kind of other acoustic instrument and and whatever, but the contact mic can pick up any and everything from that. Generally, mm-hmm. if it's not electronic and even when it is, in some cases you can, you can use it. Like you can use a contact mic to record the motors of your tape deck. Yeah. You exactly. can use a contact it- mic to record uh, the, tur- the plate of your turntable spinning. Like you can mm-hmm. use it for so many things other than just sort of the, the base application of, you know, a general instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, it, it, it's, it's for me when I was rethinking that question or that statement manifesto, whatever it's like, <laughs> it is arguably the perfect noise instrument. I'm like, well, you know, you have, you, you, you covered it. It's like, there are, uh, we, we all know several noise people who, you know, may use voice as, you know, that, that first part of the chain, the thread, other people are much more electronically motivated. You know, they prefer closed systems, closed circuits, whether that's modular synth or da, 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 da. Um, but I, I, so you can, you can definitely group, you know, the, the noise approaches, but I think, arguably in, in that regard, they, they would say, yeah, you know, they probably at some point had the contact mic or the vocal artist probably was like, yo, you got a contact mic I'm put on my throat, you know, that kind of thing. Cause it, um, you know, while we obviously are in the, the field of, uh, things that are amplified and loud and feedback, the contact mic feeds back at a different, um, you know, it, it, it's not a vocal mic. So it will, um, that just opens up so much more, you know, your creaky rocking chair performance kind of thing. It's like, you can get so deep with, with that. And then, you know, even before you add effects, even before you go down that rabbit hole of applying it to whatever setup you have, it's like shit gets crazy right from the onset. And that's, that's something I tell a lot of people too. It's like always, you know, consider what that, that little piezo is doing and with a proper mixer, which doesn't have to cost super, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars, even, you know, less is always more is what I sort of follow up with is like, you know, listen to it first, you know, listen, listen to what this thing can do, you know, and the imperceptible motion of it, you know, two millimeters to the left or right of the surface that it's amplifying it, you get a whole different set of timbre, different response, you know, just, uh, you know, it, it really, you know, every time I get bored with it, cause like you, you know, we make microphones, um, this is, we make contact mics and it, uh, you know, there are times where I'm like, yeah, I made X amount of, why do I want to sit down and record with one? And yeah. then I sit down and lo and behold, like everything else is just sort of like, yeah, it kind of needs a little extra something. And that could be the contact mic underneath the mixer picking up whatever other vibrations. So it is like, you know, it'll never leave my repertoire because it's like, it's kind of the other side of the story is like when all shit breaks, I still got the contact mic. So. Yeah, no, really. And, and in the context of a live performance. So especially, you know, Luckily for us, we always have contact mics because there's just always I just there's a there's a bucket of them here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like I keep them in stock. So there's if I need one, I can just grab one from from Mm -hmm. the box of contact mics. And it's to a point where I take one 
for a gig or for a recording session or something, even if I don't have a necessarily a plan to use it because Mm -hmm. it's a good option or if something else goes wrong, well, I've got the contact mic. And if I'm working Mm -hmm. on a track (laughs) and even something uh, maybe less noise oriented, something more in a sort of industrial or, or synth or, you know, more pop structure, even thing, Mm -hmm. the contact mic can be great there just to add some sort of depth and texture to some sort of more standard sounds. You know, you can, Mm -hmm. can do that. I remember this is, you know, probably around 2004, 2005, I had made a, a radio shack contact mic and I had, it was in my office at green door where you played mm-hmm. and uh, which was upstairs on the second floor in the, in the corner. I had a, an oscillating fan on and I was working on some recording and I just like had things kind of running and I was getting set up to record, but I had draped this contact mic over this sort of makeshift table I had and the fan was blowing it back and forth and it started feeding back. Mm. And I'd, I think I'd had something on in the background, a TV or something like maybe my roommate was watching TV, but it was picking up a little bit of that sound of the TV in, mm-hmm. in, in like from the other room, but just echoed because it was like fairly distant from the mic. And then this fan is blowing it. So it's weaving back and forth, you know, in the air and causing the feedback to change on a, on a mm-hmm. cycle, but it's, it's moving slightly. It's not going in the same position, but it's this sort of a, you know, perpetual pendulum because of this, this fan. Mm-hmm. And then the fan was also adding a little bit of noise to it when it would catch it. Right. And I just started, I hit record <laughs> and I, that track <laughs> got, got released uh, many years later, but that like that piece, I actually finally found a place where it sat into and it was just out of like, not, doing anything you can't make out anything that's sort of coming through in the background from the television but there it does add this certain texture and it Mm -hmm. had this nice bass hit when it would hit a certain point and then you would get the just the feedback ringing and it just sounded fucking cool and like Mm -hmm. because the contact mic is is so cool and so versatile that even when i wasn't trying to use it as an instrument or even record anything Mm -hmm. what came out of it was so so downright awesome sounding that i had to end up incorporating it i think yeah i mean to follow up with that that same sort of uh that you know trailing from that like it's it's such a great tool for kind of stepping outside of yourself in terms of intention um i mean i think anyone who is recording even a you know you know, listening to your episodes on field recorder, you know, field recordists, there is intentionality involved to a very minor degree. And they, I'm sure they would all agree, uh, you know, cause you point the microphone at something. And even if that's, that's all you do and walk away, you know, that is intention. I mean, it's something that I've taught in sound classes. Like they're like, but is this art? I'm like, of course it is. You're carrying your recorder with you, blah, blah, blah. And you're setting it up and then you're walking out. The contact mic has that element too. Cause you know, I just like, I will go outside of my house and just, I will put it in the pond, you know, down, you know, the backyard and just see what happens. Walk yeah. away, hit record, come back. You might not get anything because nothing happened to be swimming by or whatever, but I just, I really like how that, uh, you know, it can be a real like ego remover because, you know, I, um, I don't really believe in this idea of like the artist as genius, you know, like I'm manipulating and pulling all the strings. Look at me. Woohoo. I'm the magician wizard bullshit. You know, it's like, no, 
you're actually not really in control of anything, you know, <laughs> you know we're barely <laughs> sentient beasts that just have a really high opinion of ourselves. And the contact mic is one of those things that can, uh, that can take us on a different journey, um, sonically and just, and, and reveal, uh, you know, just tenfold, hundredfold, you know, thousandfold surprises just by, you know, what you're talking about is like strange approximations and proximities. And, and, and yeah, you know, I, I love that idea of, of intentionality getting mixed up with, um, just what is perceived as chaos and like chance happens in such bizarre ways. But then you're like, actually just the way the leaf is tapping it and going click, click, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you go in with one set of ideas and rules and then you set down your contact mic and da, 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 da. And then suddenly like a chipmunk runs across it or shits on it or whatever. the <laughs> fuck. <laughs> like, okay. That was way better. Um, you know, and, and I think in our doing it enough, we have a pretty good idea how a certain timbre is going to sound, you know, like this, whatever it was last year I was doing, I think I was doing a quick product demo and I'm like, all right, contact Mike bird feeder, pretty much know how this is going to sound. Down, but it was fucking awesome. Yeah. It was just like chickadees and like nut hatches, like hitting the birdcage. It just sounded crushing. It was like whack, bang, reverb. And it was like, that's all it is. No effects, kids. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's bird music. So it's funny because I, I sort of liken field recording to photography in this way, where like you bring your tools with you when you see something worth capturing, is when you take your equipment out. And mm -hmm. the photographer's not necessarily setting a stage of anything they're finding something mm -hmm. interesting that's going on and documenting it and that's the same thing that that field recorders do you know we do when we take our contact mics out yeah and it's but it's easy sometimes to feel like that's not i liked when you said like is this art and it's easy for people to not be able to see that correlation and realize because yeah. they feel like they're not doing anything but you are doing something you are there is your intention you are going somewhere you are deciding what it is you want to capture or where for whatever reason even if there's mm -hmm. no reason like that's the that is yeah. the reason it's like oh this sounds like nothing here let's none. record and see what yeah. happens and your your skill your technical know-how your ability is also this you know how to use your equipment. You have your equipment with you. You brought it with you there for a reason, right? Like I carry a tape recorder in my bag because you never know when you're going to have to do it. I, I keep one yep. near the front door. So if something's going on outside my house, I can throw it on the porch. Anytime there's fireworks, helicopters, uh, like Chaos. demonstrations, <laughs> that stuff gets yep. recorded and it's easy mm -hmm. because I keep, I have a tape deck. I keep specifically near the front door so I can get that stuff. Uh, yep. When it starts raining and thundering, which is rare here in LA, I'm mm -hmm. really quick to grab my mic and put it somewhere where it's going to not get wet, but like get, you know, capture the sounds and it always sounds different every time. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, nature and, and the nature of what we do with this stuff is the unpredictability. And, and I think what draws a lot of us to it is the chaos in whatever dose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's, um, you know, ultimately it's like you are capturing a fragment of time, but it's not necessarily like this sort of postcard approach of what, you know, you're not conveying this whole picture. Um, this earlier this winter, uh, we have a really big pond adjacent to our property. Um, I guess in some parts of the country it would be considered a lake, but you know, in new England, it's a pond <laughs> and that fucker, when that thing froze enough that you could walk on it, we went out there. Um, one of my buddies came down who works in sound ecology and we just set up, 
you know, all his gear and to capture the sound of the swells of that ice, the water underneath that thing was like, it sounded like a really, really upset stomach, like, bloop, you know, this kind. <laughs> I found like some perfect um, sort of the, they were cracks from expansion and contraction where you could stick perfectly sized, stick a, a contact mic in that. And I, you know, you could really capture that, you know, you weren't getting any of the extraneous outdoor, you know, the, the birds, the wind, blah, blah, blah. But you were getting you were actually getting that ice pushing and pulling. And it was really it was a little unnerving because it, it did that sound kind of made you queasy because you're like you're out in the middle of a body of water. Like, you know, I don't think we were going to fall in. You know, yeah. it was probably eight to 12 inches thick. But uh, but just that sound, it was like, it. you know, I forgot what winter sounded like you know winter in a really cold northern place <laughs> like it was it was something else that sounds awesome <laughs> yeah it, it, you know it was just like every day i was out there trying to grab a different recorder you know like little tiny you know got the zoom out i was like yeah it kind of sounds okay da, 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 you know kept having other interference and then finally it was like you know found you know i hodgepodged enough uh, different recordings, contact mic, condenser mic, et cetera. You know, I, I was kind of ice obsessed for a little while. I was like, this shit's insane. You know, <laughs> like it sounds like glaciers. Um, but, you know, kind of in the same idea as you, it's like just basically walking around with a recorder all the time, whether or not, you know, anything comes of it, you know, just like I have a little, you know, have the zoom, but I also have a little tiny Sony handheld that has like the, uh, has a mic jack. And so it sounds great with just like recording contact mics on the fly. Um, and, uh, you know, between that using my iPhone or whatever, it's like, you know, you, we are equipped right now. It's like golden age yeah. for field recording. Cause it's like, just pull this out and record it this way and then, you know, mash it up with something else. But, um, yeah, I think I've got a recorder in my shop. I got one in my coat pocket, got one in the back backpack. The only one I don't have like a permanent one for is like, I don't have one in the car, but that's usually because I have one in my pocket, like a dork, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm like an eight year old kid with all my pockets full of stuff, you know, except for it's like <laughs> headphones, microphone, contact mic, but <laughs> like, you know, you just got to be prepared in case the world ends. You want to make sure you got some good microphones to record it. So, but yeah, I mean, it kind of brings it back to, you know, it is, um, I don't know if it's an instrument, if it's a tool, because I, you know, the idea of like instrumentalizing a contact mic, you can use it as an instrument, but it's sort of like, it's just, uh, you know, what, what else is it? Is it a paintbrush? Is it, you know, it's all of those things all at once. So, um, you know, yeah, you can rock out with a contact mic, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, God I mean, knows I have, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, sometimes, I'll just use them raw without anything in my hand. My hand is the, what's being amplified or, you yeah. know, whatever the table and, you know, it, it, thinking on the field recording thing and, and the uh, photography analogy, the, the best photographers I know and the most prolific, you don't ever see them without their camera. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, they go somewhere because they know that there's going to be something worth catching. And that's the same way I feel about recording more now is like, there's going to be something worth catching with, a contact mic with a field recorder with something there's going to, mm -hmm. you go somewhere and there's going to be a sound that is not like what you have in your own area, your own home, your yeah. own neighborhood. You're going to get something different. And yeah. I, it's, it's just amazing to me how we can take and you talk about the ice and not having these sort of ambient and environmental sounds around it, but getting just this isolated sound. And that's, 
one of those things that's so great too, that I think you kind of learn early on is I know what sheet metal sounds like when I hit it with a hammer, but uh, what sheet metal sounds like with a contact mic through a distortion mm-hmm. pedal or an amplifier, when I hit mm-hmm. it with a hammer is entirely different. It is an isolated mm-hmm. version of that sound with whatever processing I'm putting on it. And mm-hmm. it, it can make it, especially depending on the distortion and the gain and this, and that. you can make it, you can make those sounds, you can sculpt those sounds so much and make them mm-hmm. so much more than they are without it. I mean, like banging on something and Hey, banging on a piece of metal and recording it with uh, you know, an SM 57, or uh, recording it with, you know, I really, really love these cheap condenser mics on the old Radio Shack handheld uh, Walkman. I'm just mm-hmm. obsessed with those and the way they make everything sound great. <laughs> and so great, great being um, a word that noise people would appreciate. We understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, they don't. It's, <laughs> a little bit dirty. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot bit dirty, really. They're, they're just they just sound like trash. Everything it turns into. <laughs> What I love about sort of like 80s tape collage sort of things is these this this just bad gain and and like, you know, mic amp in it that pulls out all these sounds that you don't know were there or creates new ones from it from mm-hmm. like trying to figure it out. And I I'll do you know, we did a um a video on the Patreon that was sort of a demonstration of different field recorders. It was like, I used my mm-hmm. radio shack tape. I use, and I cut, I put a little image of it on whenever that was the audio being used of the same sounds. Oh, cool. Cool. And it, it's, it's really funny how different those things can sound. And especially like yeah. with the, you know, I put everything about three feet from the object we were recording four feet from the object mm-hmm. we were recording and tried to set the gains, you know, appropriately, but thinking about it, like, yeah, if I were actually recording with this thing, I would probably have put it under the oil barrel, not just like three mm. feet from, you know, that's, that's how I do it. But even just showing the sort of differences in sonic quality that it captures and knowing when to pick the right microphone, but there's never really a point for me where I wouldn't want to have a contact mic attached to something if I'm going to be hitting or manipulating it in a physical way, or if it has its own movement and vibration outside of me interacting with it, like the ice swelling and you know mm-hmm. contracting, expanding and that sort of thing. Like that's a perfect thing for it because you, you know, uh, we talked about this, they're, they're used for pressure sensors they are used to for way stations, right? You, the mm-hmm. piezo crystal yeah. detects shifts in pressure. Um, mm-hmm. Even if that shift is a minute vibration of the copper disc or brass disc that it is currently glued to it, it detects the pressure of that thing vibrating. Yeah. And so any circumstance where you have that, but tuck one under your record shelf, you know, <laughs> tuck one under wherever. And if there are shifts or if tuck one between the board, the floorboards in your house and you will hear shifts in those sounds because mm-hmm. of the pressure change. Anytime you're walking around, anytime the house settles, anytime there's a subtle earthquake, anytime there's an, anything, anytime <laughs> a truck drives by that's vibrating <laughs> the street, you're going to, you're going to get a little bit of that sound. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. In a way you would never hear it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. You- yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I was just thinking, like, you know, in in that in that mind, like, there's um, you know, it's very very forested where where our place is, and there's no leaves on the trees, and there's a lot of wind because we're about a mile from the Atlantic, and it is a very windy. It's been a very windy season um, through the winter into early spring right now, and but there's something about the tonality of the the bare trees clacking and creaking, and 
you know, I'm whenever we're walking through the woods, cause there's ample trails here. I'm like, which tree is it so that I can hone in on it and <laughs> stick a contact. My kid. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, cause, but I'm like, there's gotta be a way of doing that, of getting that creaky sound. Cause I know it would sound amazing, um, without injuring the tree. I, uh, one potential customer and I never followed through with it cause it was just such a crazy pain in the ass was like, can you solder, um, basically like a probe onto a contact mic so that I can jab it into trees. And, um, I never followed through with it cause, uh, it, uh, I was able to do it, but the, the tonality was, it wasn't great. And, and, um, it just sort of fell by the wayside, but I kept thinking like, what is that way that you, what can you affix to the mic so that it acts as sort of like a, a, a rod or whatever, like yeah. an antenna. Um, and what else, what other kind of extraneous sounds are you going to pick up in, in concert with that? Um, you know, it's not just like sticking it in the bark of a tree, but where else can you go with that? You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, by, by, if, if, if yeah. someone didn't know me walking around with this weird probe in my hand, you know, you could get arrested, but um, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing young man? Um, but, uh, look, let's be honest. No one's, no one is coming up to you and saying, what are you doing? Young man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. I was just going to, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that the the county that I live in in Maine currently is the oldest county in the entire state. So when you're in your early fifties, you're a freaking kid, you know? (laughs) Oh man. Uh, uh, Yeah. I digress. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, I don't know. uh, Following up with that, I, 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 I scribbled down like um, on my notes with the, you know, being the perfect noise instrument. I was like, is it, I jokingly scribbled in, is this a conceptual question? And, um, guess I think, you know, that the, the, I think what I was going for, I kind of forget what, uh, what train of thought was asking that question, but, uh, you know, the, the piezo itself, um, I, you know, I, because I'm in so deep with this technology, this very, very simple technology, I, I, I do think about, um, you know, of, of all the approaches I've used it for, and it still opens up new possibilities. We're talking about contact mics. I've mentioned a couple other mics. You've mentioned a couple other mics. What's mm-hmm. how, you use? Can you use your contact mics in conjunction with with? I mean, you make yep. a wide variety of microphones as well. Yep. Not just not Absolutely. just contact mics. Yep. Um, I uh, yeah. I mean, when I'm doing recording, it's uh, it you know it, it's probably not all uh, dissimilar to what we were just talking about. It's, a uh, you know, I've, there are a handful of, of cassette recorders, Panasonic, et cetera, that have uh, really nice condenser mics on them. Nice meaning gritty, um, handful of, uh, recorders, little tiny recorders that I'll just use for the microphone, you know, and just pot the line out into my mixer. Um, I have, of course, you know, my phantom, powered mic that I'm using right now to talk to you so I can get my deep voice. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't have a huge wall of microphones at my disposal, but, um, I do have, like you said, you know, I've got a bucket full of homemade ones, uh, various size transducers, condenser mics, you know, ones with homemade preamps in them that just modulate at a certain turn of the knob, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I got a, I got a, ton of, uh, of ones that I've built, you know, currently over the years, you know, there's a whole other box somewhere in storage that has even more. So, you know, and mic failures too, like there was one that I did, um, 
that was affixed to um a uh, a light bulb not you know the uh, the the switch itself and i was like i had a perfect mic component that fit in there um so i could use the light switch to click it on and off and um when you clicked it off there was an unbelievable hum oh yeah Um, (laughs) so i was like what would this be like as a product put it in that i was like it looked visually beautiful because it fit perfectly right in there and you click it on and off but it was just like microphone then like roaring buzz Uh, microphone roaring buzz i'm like you know i think i think uh i I showed it to gx and he quipped like oh that that must sound really nice (laughs) (laughs) it's like it it kind of does but uh, i wish it did (laughs) (laughs) you know uh you know for that really like screaming buzz so you know there yeah again there's like a got a big old you know whatever trunk of stuff that I, uh, that I use. Um, also I, you know, whenever I've flown and they give you the complimentary earbuds, I keep them. I never use them for earbuds. I use them for microphones. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. I learned a long time ago that you can put those as long as they're, you know, and they come with a little handy cord. So you can have that in the back of your cheek and just going, wah, 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 you know, and it picks up, you know, all of your voices. So, yeah. and then if it breaks, you just, you know, you've probably got five or seven more. You just, you just, you know, fly again. You just travel again and get, yeah. Yeah. You just go somewhere. I feel like they don't, they don't hand those out like they used to, or they want like $4 for them now for what is the cheapest earbuds you can find, but the yeah. dollar store sells them. So mm-hmm. you can always just grab some there. That's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, the great thing about it was like, it's funny when you, I mean, it's, and it's sad too, cause it's like, these are basically like it's e-waste at this point for yeah. most people. Um, and yet, you know, for the intrepid who are like, wait, I can turn that into a microphone or that's actually like a micro speaker, you know, the, you can, you can do so much with so little, which is sort of, you know, that's always been part of my philosophy too, as an artist, it's like, yeah, you can do a hell of a lot without having to break the bank. Um, you know, again, it's like the, the piezo element is, is very inexpensive and, and, you know, I price them, you know, accordingly, they aren't expensive to buy. It's funny. I was looking at a certain major music catalog that most of us have in our bathroom by the toilet that we read. Um, you might, it begins with S and ends with R and it has the word water in it. Um, but <laughs> and they have, they have contact mics in there that I'm like, really 79 bucks for that shit. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the materials, you know, there are costs to buying good quality components and mm-hmm. then there's time and, yeah. and all that stuff and, and, you know, testing and durability. So I, I, likewise, you know, I think, I feel like our products are priced fairly similar and it's, it's because that's the kind of right price, but I've also bought, yeah. I, I think they were cheaper back in the day, but like the, those red hots mics, they were like mm, dipped in one. red plastic dip. Oh yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and they were, they were made with drum triggers. You'd buy a five pack, but I, yeah. those things are, they have been completely annihilated and they were cheap. They had like kind of a plastic housing on the, on the jack on them. And the, they just, they always stopped working for me really soon because they weren't reinforced with what I might be doing with them in mind. Whereas mm-hmm. when you get something that's made by, I don't know, someone that does spend all their time making noise and making microphones, mm-hmm. you know, that it's going to probably stand up to a noise use, not a drummer tapes it to the bottom of their drum once and calls it a day kind of use or, you know, those or, things or weren't to guitar, you know, like the one, the, the cheap old, yeah. you know, the crap that you can get on Amazon. 
Oh, where um, it's just like a couple of wires and a jack and a, and a like, mic. Yeah. So, so going to friggin' break. So, um, I mean, I know, wonder how many just, people get those and just rip the, the leads right off them accidentally. That's just such, such a thing that can happen with those sort of. Well, just installing it. Yeah. You're going to, you know, you know, that, that those things are so poorly made as we know, as, as anyone knows, buying anything from that company, like there's so much, you know, it's just like danger, man. You don't know what you're spending money on until you get it. You're like, <laughs> the fuck is this? Hey, it's like buying at the dollar store. You get you get headphones at the dollar store or something, and you know they're going to be bad. So you know mm-hmm. you can. But at least you you know it's it's advertised dollar store, right? Right. So. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> so it comes around, goes around. So, um, but uh, you know it, it's you know what bothers. I'm not going to go on a, on a rant about you know uh, consumption or, you know, excessive capitalism. Cause that's just way too easy a rabbit hole to go down, but it's like, you do get what you pay for. And when you're buying from an independent builder, um, and you can get in touch with them like, yo, this doesn't work. Um, and you're going to have a conversation with it instead of like, you know, radio silence. So yeah. as I was just realizing today, you know, my day was very hurried because suddenly like, Oh crap, I had a batch of microphones going to customers and tested one. I'm like, Oh shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like gotta quickly rebuild, you yeah. know, get that ready. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, I thoroughly test things and sometimes something it's all ready to hit the packaging. And I'm like, Oh, ah, dang. So got a short in it and, you know, looking all over for it and I couldn't find it. So it was like rebuild quick rebuild. And meanwhile, like got all this other stuff to do. I yeah. got an interview with gray today. Like, ah, <laughs> I'm in the wrong headspace. <laughs> you're in the right headspace though. Cause you're working with contact mics. I, you know, we, right, exactly. <laughs> we said before this too, I was also assembling some contact mics this morning. So it's, this is just a, a day in day out thing here. And, yep. you know, I've, had ideas for some weird devices and, and I think actually even in, when we talked to Eric Lundy, he was, I think he was using uh, little speakers, but he showed us this device he built, which is two of those like 22nd, uh, greeting card recorder. Oh, things those are great. To, but they play back into each other. So you can like, he would make you degrading loops on them, uh, acoustically. Oh. Of course, really duh! I hadn't thought of that. Cool looking thing, yeah, right. And I had the same sort of idea for a, uh, I guess, like a plate reverb, but where the send and receive elements would be piezos. Um, so, but basically, like a piezo playing something into a piezo picking it up, so mm-hmm. it sounds like total garbage. Not not actually a reverb, I guess, but more of a way to just degrade and destroy the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why we do what we which do. Is, yeah, we what like you want. I mean, a reverb technically. Sound degrades the sound. It's not, you're yep. not getting high quality sound. You're getting the sound of some shit played through spring. You mix it with the yeah. sound and it sounds good, but so same, same kind of idea. And that's one of the things too, is that you can use piezos and contact mics. I'm jumping ahead a bit in our, our outline here, but in a, in a way of using them for uh, CV triggers, using them for pressure mm-hmm. sensors, using them, you know, I mentioned the red hots, like using them as a drum trigger drum yeah. for, for many devices and also using them as a speaker. You can play stuff back across these things. It, it's probably going to sound pretty rough. I mean, but the, you can, their general application is, you know, as a buzzer getting a, a specific a frequency. Speaker, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and like in an alarm or in something, you know, cheap mm-hmm. but you can still get cool and usable sounds out of that and you can play something back through it and then re-record that and play it you know through something else or process it that way so it's sort of limitless possibilities with them what what do you do with yours aside from recording with them 
I do use it as a, obviously as a, as a contact mic, uh, as a speaker. Um, I, it's very interesting because that for me, um, gets into no input stuff where it's like, you've got a contact mic hooked up into your mixer with, um, you know, whatever other things in your no input feed. And you can take a, a jack from like the headphone out or a line out from one of the pedals and touch the, the brass on the piezo. And it does all sorts of fucked up stuff. And again, it's like, depending on the moisture of your hand, um, you know, saliva, that kind of thing, as long as nothing's powered um beyond battery you know i tend to just you know low voltage situations um you're not going to get electrocuted uh i don't really do that um if i'm you know, to transition into like, you know, when I, when I've worked with modular, I don't, you know, I do use piezos with modular, but, um, because you're dealing with such a different voltage and there's so much potential for like, oops, melting, um, tend to not do that approach. Uh, no input mixing. You can, I mean, there's definitely some, uh, uh, some modules and so forth where you can get very tactile and pressure sensitive and so forth. And if, as long as the piezo is hooked up into that system and therefore is grounded, you can, yeah. you can do that kind of work. But for the novice, I would say, yeah, leave that at home. Cause I have definitely burnt a few things in my time. My first, um, when I started using piezos in uh, control voltage, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I, I, you know, this is maybe four years ago. I bought a semi-modular and I was like, it had 50 some odd, you know, eighth inch inputs and outputs. And I was like putting piezos and contact mics <laughs> and all of those and, and playing them with my hand and to actually some some of those very like not knowing what the hell I was doing, but I had record going. Um, I don't know what I did, but that weird, it was a Behringer neutron. Okay. Um, I was going to uh, ask, I have one here actually. <laughs> the, the, and, and I still use it cause I still pull it out. Cause I can still like gets, I mean, it's got some really chunky, nice distortion on that thing. I mean, good job, Behringer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, uh, but I, you know, I, at the time I didn't understand what control voltage was the difference between CV and line and, um, or what any of the little letters meant like LFO or VCA or VCF. And so I, like, <laughs> I'm not a synth guy. Yeah. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I clearly am not a synth guy. It's like, you know, I amplify cardboard and violin bows and cans, you know, it's like, so it was sort of like, well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to teach myself this and, and that that particular semi-modular, when I got it, it didn't come with instructions. It had like, um, you know, the usual FCC warnings and then like, you know, French, Spanish, German, English reiterating the same point. It didn't show you how to patch or anything like that. There was nothing online at the time. And so I was just like, well, it's got some Jackson. I'll just figure it out myself. And um, <laughs> I the recordings of that thing crackling with piezos, I was like crap, I wish I wrote that down, but I did. I remember I blew a couple pedals that I had hooked up outside of that. I'm like, what if it sounds like when I take the jack and go into that distortion? Oh, right. Right. Cause now you're sending it five volts instead of an audio. Yeah, level yeah, signal. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, somebody had to literally explain to me, it's like, you know, the line level is whatever it is. It's like point 
five or something, you know, it's not, and I'm sending five to nine or whatever the hell yeah, I want. Yeah. <laughs> like um, things that didn't have resistors or, or the cur- whatever kind of, you know, energy drain for that kind of uh, burst of, of uh, power were that. Yeah. I just, some, some of the, my homemade pedals were just, yeah, they were ghosts. <laughs> Sadly to say, but um, all of that is to say is like once I figured out how to do it, I started using piezos in a in a Eurorack or modular environment as exciters because the whole thing about um, you know with with the piezo is it's it's when you squeeze it, it's storing the energy, and when you let go, it's releasing that. So it's actually storing and releasing voltage, a very small amount, but you can actually use that to affect an oscillator, an LFO, all this other stuff. And it's like, that's dope. You can just hold, you know, I built a few boxes and just like with a piezo inside and you're like squeezing them. And it's just like, you know, I mean, that's basically the extent of it. It it just makes things go, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, depending on what the patch is or what your setup is, it's like, that's, that can be very useful. Um, so that's definitely like, where like in recent, like because of pandemic and so forth, where I've spent endless hours with headphones on, um, just devising stuff for, for that type of customer too. It's like, you know, here's where you can take it and go even further. And it's like, you know, um, you know, with a lot of warnings, like don't plug it into this and don't, you know, da, 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 da. but right. uh, it, um, you know, it is very interesting. Cause it's like, again, like the piezo kind of comes out as like, you know, you can use me here if you know what, you know, what the, what my uses are. So I'm more than a contact mic. I am a pressure sensor. I release energy. Da, 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 da. So, um, so it's, you know, it's sort of like a trail of, uh, of progress with my applications of it, you know, between no input just as a speaker, just as a, as a sensor, you know, it's like, you know, it, it just, it keeps expanding the more technology I encounter where I'm like, can I stick a contact mic in it? Can I stick a contact? You know, that's sort of the ongoing question <laughs> with any sort of system I see. It's like, if there's no input, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not disinterested. I just, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, the, I like a tape recorder that has a jack in it. You know, it's got to have an input. You yeah. know, I feel that way about synthesizers too. It's like, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with just that tone. It's like, I got to stick a contact mic in that. <laughs> How can I get my, you know, cause I feel like that's something I'm very personal about. And it's like, I just want, you know, I, I want that grimy element of, uh, cause it, it's another sort of incidental accidental action that can, you know, affect signal flow. And that's what a contact mic in a control voltage environment can do. It can add this, you know, stuff that is not part of the design of the chip or whatever it is that's on the module. So yeah, it makes it more, um, uh, human in a way, and it puts more of your fingerprint on it. Everyone that's interacting with that thing interacts with the knobs. They turn the knobs up, mm-hmm. they turn the knobs yep. down. That's the same. That's the way, you know, or the sliders, whatever it is. That's the way you interface with it. When you add something else to it that gives you another way to interface with it, like a contact mic, mm-hmm. uh, like running a guitar through it or something, you know, any, whatever mm-hmm. it is, like a vocal mic, anything, you're, you're mm-hmm. putting a uh, human element and introducing it into what, even when it's crazy modular stuff is at least somewhat of a more stable environment and type of sound generation. Like oscillators mm-hmm. are generally meant to reproduce, you know, oscillate, reproduce a frequency uh, and you can vary and adjust and filter that. But adding in the unpredictable, un 
repeatable element of the, you know, human movement or voice or whatever it is, immediately changes the, the texture of that instrument. I don't, I mean, I build for a lot of people who work with modular, but they're primarily when I think about it, um, like the ones that I, I relate to most are our fellow noise kin, um, you know, cause you know, take, for example, um, you know, all hail Chris Goudreau, Chris, if you're listening, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I build his shaker boxes, um, and Chris, you know, they are to his specs and that's a piezo in there. And only Chris has them and only Chris knows how to make that just brutal abstract, you know, just like boom, crack, boom, crack, boom, crack. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, I'm, you know, I'm like, my box did that. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's the same with, you know, some of the, my other, uh, noise buddy, you know, I mean like Matt Taggart, PCRV, it's like, he uses all my shakers too. And you know, his sound is his sound, but it's that, again, it's that interface. Right. Um, it, uh, you know, his sound is so different from, from Chris's, you know, it's like, you know, again, it's like, it's, it's the artist. It's like who, whoever is using it is going to use it. It have a different voice. Um, you could give them the same exact setup and they're going to sound completely different, um, based on their human, you know, interaction with that. So, and it's, it is much beyond, um, you know, knobs and sliders. It is, it's, it's, pacing it's timing it's but it's that little piezo that i'm always like that's mine i did that you know (laughs) the the little the little critter in there shaking around like making the walls you know peel their paint and shit themselves so um (laughs) it's just endlessly amusing and gratifying that you know just to see artists use the stuff and be like oh yeah never thought of that you know i mean i think as you know for me as a as a you know as a one person microphone making company i mean I got to say like a good, sometimes it's 50, 60% of my inspiration comes from customers who are just like, can you make that and just put a knob? And I'm like, uh, make a shaker box with a knob. And I'm like, I didn't know anything about potentiometers, right. you know, in that environment. And I'm like, okay, I'll think about that and do a little research and da, 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 grab a couple like, or gut something you know, stick the knob on yeah. <laughs> and like, lo and behold, it's like, oh man, that's really cool. Cause it's like works in, you know, it just, when people present ideas to me, um, as a builder, um, you know, I, I, I'm not an engineer. I come from art school, but it's like, I use that sort of brain and my experience, like, well, how can I make it sound like this and send the signal back into itself and have them like it and understand it and use it as well. And so, um, it's, it's, it gets really interesting having these conversations and it's just, I've had hundreds of conversations like that with different artists and like, Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you for reminding me that I could actually use it in this environment. So, um, unfortunately like this stuff is easy enough to build. Um, but you know, it's like, I didn't build XLR cables for the longest time. And then when someone said, Hey, can you, can you do that for me? And then when I did, I was like, Holy crap, like the headroom in an XLR is like, you know, it was almost too much for the contact mic. I'm like, shit, if you use this live, cause the whole cable becomes, um, animated, activated. Um, and, uh, you know, it's also contingent on what kind of mixer you're using too, but right. you know, you can't use phantom power with it. Cause it's just like that, that voltage increase, you know, 
put so much buzz into the microphone. Um, but just in the regular XLR mic jack on, on my mixer, I was like, I can hear what's going on downstairs. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, plugging in all my different mics. I'm like, Holy crap, this thing is just so much more animated. Um, to the point where I was like, for a while, I was like, you know, use, with an abundance of caution in a live environment, because it might feedback everything you touch that makes contact with that cable is going to, I mean, it was basically amplifying the cable. So, um, but it was amazing with field recording mm. um, or like I was doing it with a, uh, I did use it live, but you know, again, like the microphone on the throat and right. I was like, I'll use one of my XLRs for that. And it was like, Holy smokes. You know, just like, you know, you're like <laughs> you know, all the whatever in your neck muscles, your esophageal stuff, like shaking around and spits and swallows and burps. And it was like, Christ, just add that to, uh, whatever, you know, you know, put that into a feedback loop chain with a Trogatronic or two. And like, you know, right. I destroy you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, I guess that's sort of like, um, you know, where I, in, in that topic with other uses, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it, it sort of feeds into what other people, um, people that are working in different, uh, systems, you know, that the only reason I got into, you know, doing, uh, modular synthesizers was because of, uh, enough, people were asking me if I would build for that system. And I was like, I better fucking do my math here and figure out how to yeah. do this. Cause, um, and then I was like, Hmm, all those knobs are actually kind of interesting to play with, um, and can generate and, you know, control voltage environments are just, you know, it's still like definitely like millennium Falcon kind of crap when you're like, <laughs> I don't think I can afford that system <laughs> ever. It's like still got to pay a mortgage here. <laughs> Luckily, a lot of that stuff has gotten uh, cheaper and more accessible, but even I, I control voltage is something that I've always loved because it's such a very, um, you know, I, over the last decade I've learned MIDI but mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know anything about MIDI beforehand, but in the two thousands, you know, I, because of my MS 20 and then other since I was picking up and interfacing with, and when I got my modular uh, synthesizers.com modular stuff that I was doing in the mid two thousands, that for me, I, you know, I, I learned a lot about control voltage and it's such a very uh, mm -hmm. physical way to interact with the stuff. It, I guess it makes sense. I'm sending this electricity to here and it, and then right. you have, I have a knob that will allow me to, uh, you know, attenuate how much it affects this other thing. And then that other mm -hmm. thing can feed back into this. And then you can set up those sort of feedback loops where you have an oscillator modulating an oscillator that's modulating the original oscillator, mm -hmm. but at a different rate. So it slowly shifts and never, you know, never stops. And it's like the kind of the simplest way of like, yeah, now this is now an unending patch that can keeps sort of auto generating itself. And you can add other factors right. in there to, to go on with that. So that sort of thing was always really interesting to me mm -hmm. and always running some sort of microphone contact mic into that setup as well. Like when I you're talking about that, that dot com modular, they had an instrument interface module, which I think is a mm -hmm. lot more common yeah. thing now. But back then it was like, yeah, you can amplify it by 10, a hundred or a thousand or something, I believe on Whoa. the or one, <laughs> one, 10 or a hundred is maybe what it was. Um, Huge parameters in tens. And, and it also took uh, an envelope out. It would convert the envelope to voltage. So you could, you could have, you could have something follow the envelope of whatever, you know, contact right. mic, microphone, guitar, you're plugging into it and you can adjust the, uh, the range of the gain on the input knob. So you could, 
get all sorts of crazy different things out of it and immediately have this sort of thing that you could get again, that human element into uh, Mm -hmm. an electronic signal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what like, you know, the, the coma field kits do, um, you know, those, I don't know if you've worked with those, they basically the same thing. It's, um, uh, well, I'll show it to you. Got one right back here. It's easier if I hold it in my hand, I can, I can talk about it. Yeah, so Coma, you know, is a, a German company and um, they came out with this, which is basically you've got a, a whole slew of inputs, sliders and then CV outs. Um, so it's it's generate it's doing the same thing. It's generating envelopes. Um, it's got a built in LFO. It's got a. Yeah, a bunch of different signal interfaces that are constantly like pumping out CV. So um, depending on what you got going on, um, so you can stick a bunch of microphones in there. It's got a little built in um, uh, AM, FM, shortwave radio. Uh, It's basically a Swiss army knife. And um, it's funny, like they were like before the pandemic, you could pick one up at perfect circuit or whatever. And then um, then they just like disappeared yeah like, actually oh, crap they're in stock at perfect circuit right now because i'm looking at their website because i think that i need to own one of these this looks awesome a couple hundred bucks so. yeah yeah i mean it's not it's not exactly free with but- a little wooden box you know it's, i mean it's a beautiful object i mean you know shout out to coma for um you know making letting me you know interface with synthesizers and just making the most beautiful foul sounds um you know thereafter it was like oh my god i I can use my voice. I can, you know, do all this stuff that normally I wouldn't be able to because, you know, all these synthesizers didn't have the input. So it was just control voltage. So that, that has been, um, that's, that's a really awesome item to have in the arsenal. Um, that again, like doesn't really break the bank. Um, and I, you know, like you, yeah, there's, um, you know, in, in my, my, rack you know it's like the it's the mutable instruments ears uh module which is basically a contact mic with an envelope in or an envelope out uh gate out and there are a few others there's one that like strymon makes one for pedals so you can interface with your pedal into your modular um which you know was great for doing you know getting your feedback situation into you know a modular sense so it's like you know my 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 personal relationship with modular is like, it's just another means of mangling sound. Um, again, like not a synth guy. Um, although I do have an affection for, um, bands like OMD and, uh, you know, flock of seagulls. Cause you know, I was, I was, I was a new waiver when I was a kid, so. <laughs> right. um, but, uh, uh, but you know, like beyond that, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of coming into it now going like, Oh crap. I, I remember when I could, I could have picked up one of those back, you know, maybe 10 years ago for next to nothing. And now these things like you're talking about, you know, like the core, uh, you know, MS 20, like, ah, shit, missed the boat on that one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but, 
Um, but now there's numerous clones and a miniature version and this and that, yeah, you know, they, yeah. Behringer is like doing their, their, you know, say what you will about the company. I mean, they're, they're cloning everything. Everything so, under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I was very curious, like, Oh, they cloned the, uh, the ARP 2600. And I remember, um, we had one of those, we had a, a very old, I don't know if it was a 2600, but we had one of the original ones in, at mass art when I was in college and, you know, it was just like, this wall of, you know, guts basically and knobs. And, um, we, we would play with that thing and just make the most destructive soundtracks, not knowing what the hell we're patching right. into this thing. And it was just like, <laughs> Oh, you know, look at that. And like, you know, again, this is the early nineties, you know, and at that point, like synthesizers were like in a, in another world entirely because, you know, the eighties happened and made things very digital and made things, you know, very keyboard and, you know, pop music and blah, blah, right. blah. It's like, you know, when you think of synthesizers from the, that era, it's just like, ugh, uh, <laughs> kind of shudder. <laughs> but we, we had an ARP and that was just like this, this, you know, ungodly beast. And, yeah. uh, you know, I imagine it's like people experiencing a Buchla or something for the first time at, you know, at an old, you know, university lab in the basement, dusting it off going, what is this thing? Absolutely. Doing? Like, they, you know, they weren't accessible to a lot of people, you know, I, mean, I didn't, you know, it was mostly universities that had yeah. this stuff too. So, um, they wound up in the hands had, of collectors and musicians, but they, they yeah. were not, not common things. I actually bought that ARP 2600. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I having that synth that, uh, you know, even in a recreation at your disposal, uh, is, it sounds wonderful. It's interface is really strange. I, I have a, a vintage ARP odyssey here, so I'm familiar mm -hmm. with the ARP sort of architecture. Mm -hmm. Um, but my, architecture. <laughs> <laughs> but my odyssey is pretty, uh, beat up. I have done numerous repairs on it and it still acts a little wonky. So mm -hmm. having something else that just, just works right. And mm -hmm. sounds really nice, and you can do lots of very strange things with. I I love so I th yeah. the ARP is is a, a great thing. So yeah, I mean also that was I'll interrupt. That was the I didn't realize that was the original R two D two was just um, they they put a vocal mic into an ARP twenty six hundred for R two D 2s vocalizations. <laughs> They're like it didn't sound organic enough, so it was basically someone going singing, you know, and that was R two D two through and all those squelches that you remember, like R two D 2s repertoire was amazing, you know. And it's all ARP, huh? And it's all ARP. Yeah, it's, a 20, it's like somebody with a vocal mic going through an ARP. I'm like, all right, all right that's cool. Dig it, yeah, dig it, man. <laughs> Gotta uh, get me one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, troubleshooting. Troubleshooting. Always. Um, 60 cycle <laughs> hums. Uh, they'll never go away. They'll never go um, away. They, uh, there are, there are, I don't know if you've seen them. Um, Scott Roosh, uh, which is a Mal who showed me these things that he works on with his work, which are, it's like a, it looks like a little barrel that you can clip around the cable and it deadens some of the, it, it, it really does a great job. God, it, it's, it just looks like a little metal barrel that you would clip on. It's about an inch and it would clip onto the cable and it would kill the hum. You know, some hum killer. I don't know what, uh, I he's know like, yeah, these one second. I, I know, I, I know. So that's one way of, of dealing, managing 60 cycle hums is if you can, you know, get whatever those things are called that Gray is Googling right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to find this out so we can actually cable 
Oh man, I it's it's not it's it's not bailing, but it's got a it's got a name that sounds like that. My my other suggestion is like make sure you know when you're when you're troubleshooting um buzz is to uh you know consider what else is plugged into the power strip um or you know or just you know basically like isolate isolate everything, you know, what or and check all your connections. Um which is what I say to everybody, including myself, you know, when I'm setting up for a show, I'm like, why is this thing making this sound wise? And like, Oh, it's cause you've got everything in the world plugged into one power strip going into one wall into the PA and it's coming back at you. I mean, I played my very first show in 17 months, um, a few weekends ago in front of a live audience and it felt so good, but I just, it all came back. It came tumbling back the nightmare of like, what is that freaking buzz? What is <laughs> like and me coming out of pandemic? brain like i brought everything with me and plugged it in and you know at the end it's like i could have just showed up with a distortion pedal in the contact <laughs> mic and had just a good a show but i had to bring everything because i was still like thinking in terms of you know what i've been doing you know i as sure i'm sure a lot of artists and musicians have been doing just like sitting with headphones under the dim light of a laptop at two in the morning like making your you know your four hour whatever right. odyssey <laughs> so um performing live again um i you know the the troubleshooting, um, troubleshooting in the studio and troubleshooting live are much different animals. And I, I think as things are opening up, it's one thing to troubleshoot, you know, and figure out like, Oh, the, the hum in my studio is because of the fluorescent light overhead or, um, you're just like, you know, keep your, keep the phone away from your cables. Cause sometimes the phone's going to interfere with your studio monitors and so forth too. Uh, but as far as live goes, then it's just like, whole other friggin' you know, pile of, of baggage that you got to undo. I don't know. Have you done any live shows in person ever? Sure. <laughs> the no, best. No, I mean, no, I know. Like, I'm kidding. Like, I'm post, kidding. Like, like, no, of course. Oh <laughs> uh, no. I only just hang out on my computer. <laughs> 20 uh, years of hive mind on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, haven't. Uh, have you done? Have you broken the seal yet? Have you played live yet? I have not. And uh, I've been to a couple shows, mm -hmm. not too many around here. Yeah. And I've, I actually have said yes to a couple, but it's uh, April and June and like a couple things coming up. So yeah, I, I haven't done that yet. And I'm going to have to really knock the dust off because I used to be so comfortable with it that I wouldn't necessarily need to practice. I would prepare the stuff I knew I needed for a set and where mm -hmm. I was going to go and let the improv Go because I've had done it regular enough, but two years off, I, I'm really going to have to get back in and kind of sharpen up the lives. I, I wouldn't even know how to plug everything in the way I used to now. I know. I know it's, um, and, and hearing something beyond studio monitors for volume. Yeah. Um, was, uh, I can imagine was, was just like, Oh, I, and I kept thinking like, is it too loud? <laughs> um yeah it's it's uh you know but it, it what it did is it, it really it, it really like woke me up it jolted me into uh you know just you know out of my whatever state yeah. that that vegetate not vegetative or you know but or whatever hibernative state estivation hibernation i was like oh wow i've been um really i i've I didn't forget how to do it, but it was definitely, it wasn't like riding a bike again. It was kind of like <laughs> riding a bike on banana peels. Um, 
in a lot of them. And it was just like, <laughs> whoa, this is, this is a little odd. Um, okay. A little herky jerky. All right. Put your mask on when you're performing, da, 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 you know? Okay. Um, but, um, but I forgot what live sound was like. I was like, oh damn, you know, how to, how to like work your mixer to its maximum. And, you know, all of that is in the brain, but, uh, but the troubleshooting part was part of it too. It was like, huh, there's that buzz. Don't know what that is. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> going to just deal with it. Yeah. Uh, so. To bring it back, the thing I, th- I was looking for, and I guess the name I'm looking for is not right, but they're they're uh, You just want ferrite rings. That's what it is. Okay. Ferrite. Yeah. And as in the, they, yeah, as they come the as like, what look like kind of round, like magnet rings or whatever. And sometimes mm-hmm. you'll, so but also those little black capsules that are clipped onto cables. Sometimes those are ferrite yeah. rings yeah. to help reduce, right, right. Uh, reduce electromagnetic interference. You can certainly try those. And yet sometimes you want the uh, EMF because that can be a whole other world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, uh, troubleshooting stuff is, I mean, you just, I, I guess I learned this, uh, playing in bands or, you know, really started kind of focusing on it is start with the easiest things first. And, mm-hmm. uh, I had a bandmate who would, uh, sort of assume things were broken, uh, immediately when they didn't work quite right. And <laughs> figuring out why the thing isn't working right would, mm-hmm. would sometimes involve like, okay, take a step back. Let's look at the like simplest most likely causes of it that rather than it just has been destroyed and stopped working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. so that's, I, I've troubleshooting audio issues is really, I go for the simplest and most basic things first always. Cause it's always one of those pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing literally might not be plugged in all the way. Um, yep. I had that conversation, a customer was like, I, I will do uh, house calls as it were, you know, it's like, okay. They're like, I can't get it to work. Right. I'm like, okay, call me. Um, and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, it's like, I'll do it over the phone, walk them through it yep. or sometimes zoom them. And, um, and it's like, they're like, Oh, I didn't realize it plugged in all the way. You know, it was, it was like plugging something into a zoom or yeah. a task cam field recorder. It's like, no, you got to get that click. And they're like, ah, oh. like, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's no dumb question because all of us. Yeah. we all freaking do it. So. An instance I can think of is a uh, friend had this drum machine that we were, we were using and it had an internal clock and you, but you could also send it a clock from an external source mm-hmm. and we were using its internal clock for everything. And normally when, when working with it and then one day it wouldn't work, you hit start, it wouldn't do anything. Just hit mm. start on the drum pattern. Nothing, nothing would happen. We, you know, unplugged it, took it to a repair shop up the street, took it into old, you know, Hollywood repair guy who mm-hmm. works on like this kind of equipment. We're there 30 seconds telling him what's going on with it. He goes, oh, hold on. There's a switch for to go from internal clock to external clock. And it had gotten <laughs> jostled when my friend was bringing it over and then it just started working. And I was like, we fucking drove over here to have this guy hit one switch on the back that we could have tried. But instead, we both got into the mindset of like, it's it's vintage. It must be broken. And it's right, like, right. no, it's not. <laughs> did the guys, did he charge you 50 he did bucks? Not. I felt so <laughs> damn stupid. No, no charge for the. Like a minute of him making us feel stupid, but learned a valuable lesson. Mm-hmm. Well, cause I, I think when, uh, you know, there's, there's, we all have kind of a hypochondria with our equipment. Um, 
and I, and I think that applies not just to noise people who use really janky ass stuff. <laughs> so it's uh, sure. Yeah. You know, it, it can be, it can literally be like a guitar plugged into an amplifier and you're like, what is it? And it's like, <laughs> You know, it could be it could be the output of your guitar. It could be a volume, you know, something, uh, you know, a dirty pot on, you know, on the with a knob. It could be anything. So I think that uh, the more um, even though contact mics, for example, are, are super simple signal path uh, sensors. um yeah, sometimes, you know, within, you know, some of the rigs that I've concocted and I can speak for some other friends too. It's like, wow, you know, the, these things look so beaten, um, you know, from touring and shows and there's so many like weird jacks and so forth. And you're like, all right, we're going to dust this thing off and see <laughs> if it still works. And lo and behold, it does, or it might not, or that clamp that's holding the piezo down. It's like it held it down for one too many shows and created a short, you yep. know, it could be anything. So, um, again, it's sort of like, you know, the, the backup is, uh, always carry extra with you, but don't automatically assume at the same time when, when you are troubleshooting, that something, like you said, something is immediately broken and you're, you're like, Oh God, because it's so old or whatever. It's like, it's probably a lot more simple than that. So, um, as far as, you know, you know, those situations, cause it's like, yeah, I, it's usually like a cable or a jack for me. Cause you know, yeah, I always. haven't changed out <laughs> cables in so long. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, they're, they're old, you know, they, they've been on the road. I mean, I remember one problem I had, uh, was definitely not mine because I saw him actually do it. It was a guy I was touring with in Europe and we're setting up for the show and he spills a beer into my EQ pedal. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Needless to say that EQ pedal didn't work very well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember that moment very clearly cause we ended up doing like a weird vocal, um, acoustic, you know, bizarro ass show because I was, my contact mic needed that EQ pedal for the oomph and without it, it was yeah. like, I had such a small setup and like, you literally have destroyed my one way of amplifying this contact mic. <laughs> I took the pedal. I was so pissed, threw it against the wall. This was in some, you know, dingy ass friggin' whatever basement show in France somewhere. I was like, you know, the, if you've toured France, you know, some of the, the punk spots and squats were called punk a chien because of, you know, there were more dogs than there were punks there. <laughs> and this was definitely like a, a primo punk a chien. And I'm like, you know, fuck through it. It crash, blah, blah, blah. We did our show. I was pissed off for about 24 hours, packed the pedal in my bag. Like, well, you're a goner, but I'm not going to leave, you know, any more waste than is required. So yeah. two days later, the thing had dried out and worked perfectly. <laughs> DOD. If you can find yeah. DOD EQ pedals, man. So, um, <laughs> Yep. Um, needless to say, if it were a plastic case with my throwing it against a concrete wall, it would have broken. So, um, there you go. Oh, wow. One of the originals. <laughs> yeah. Did it have the little plastic things that always fall off on yeah, the sliders? You know, I found a place to sort those for, from. So I actually need to order some to, to put them back on here because I found like a, a modern day equivalent, but it, this one has, uh, you know, it is a uh, six band. They don't make them anymore EQ either. So. With a gain on it. And, uh, this one has two of the ca slider caps on it still, but yeah, this is a three bar, uh, FX 40. So I know nice old DOD. This is a snapshot for the, for the fans. Um, <laughs> I, ha I, I also have a, a boss 
EQ in the same style and a Behringer knockoff of, of those mm-hmm. and yep. a nice knockoff of the MXR 10 band that I have I yeah. think, sung the praises yeah, the of MXRs here are good too. So I have a Kayleen, uh, I think it's called. It's like a, it's one of those cheapo Joyo type brands. Mm, yeah. Um, the $30 yeah. or $20. <laughs> it's, I, it's also great that I often wonder actually if I were getting into noise now, you know, DOD pedals, DOD as a company isn't around anymore. Harmon mm-hmm. bought them and Harmon is no longer a company as Samsung. I yeah. think bought them. So DOD is, is like, I think on, on like clearance, get rid of the stock and not make yeah, any more stuff. I, I had somebody who was like fetishistically, like what DOD EQ is that? I'm like, it's the FX blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, he was looking all over reverb.com for it and he found it and he's like, is it this one? I'm like, yeah, I guess if it matters. And I didn't realize like DOD had actually expired and yeah. like these were no, I mean, he, this, this, it was a customer who was just like, I need to know, um, that, you know, the, you, it had a really burly sound with what you were doing with it. And, um, I was just like, meh, yeah, yeah. And, and then I was like, I needed an EQ after that. And I was like an, an additional one. And I'm, and I'm, I couldn't find them. And I'm like, you know, fuck, who do I know who would know? And I'm like, Taggart, Matt, you know, what EQ pedal do you use? <laughs> <laughs> He, I mean, he, he uses the uh, Dan Electro fishing chips. Okay. And I'm like, but it's plastic. Does it suck? And he's like, no, no, no. It's, and so I bought one. I'm like, it's fine. All right. It's actually really sturdy. So, you know, that works. Yeah. They're, they're, they're fine. I don't think they're throw against a concrete wall durable, but yeah, I try to not do know. that anymore. I, I did that a lot yeah. in my twenties. Uh, my, my, my temper isn't what it used to be. So. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, uh, um, well, sorry, I, I kind of cut you off. What were you saying? Like in starting, Oh, well, uh, starting noise now yeah kind of exactly that if i were starting to build my studio now and this isn't necessarily contact mic related right it isn't mm-hmm. really at all but would well, i be pertinent, so. would i be just buying uh you know do you want to spend 200 300 on like the what people are asking for like a dod death metal pedal these days or are you gonna oh. buy are you gonna buy the the 30 dollar mega distortion joyo mega distortion or whatever mm. it is you know like would my setup be am i gonna buy some was it moore the m-o-o-e-r mm-hmm. they make like loopers and stuff like would yeah. i be getting that stuff because when i was buying pedals uh, i still buy pedals damn it i, I cannot act like that was a, a, t- don't, a bygone don't, don't apologize don't apologize <laughs> safe space so when i was amassing my <laughs> studio or the bulk of the stuff i've had for a long time you know the stuff that was around like do D wasn't the cool stuff. Zvex was the cool stuff. And, and oh, the, the 3MS, then 4MS, whatever the mm-hmm. noise was, like those were the cool things. And some of the other mm-hmm. weird, you know, Frostwave and, and Love Tone, right, right, those yep. were like the really big high tier things. And DOD pedals were 30 to 50 bucks. And yep, yep. so that's why I bought them. But now I, I'm very skeptical of buying these 30 or $50 pedals, even though I know that some of them work way better than any of the crap that I have here because technology has been advanced so, so mm-hmm. far along that you can do, you can do so much in a pedal, the size of a shaker box, you know, like you can yeah, just yeah. do so much stuff with a, with a small circuit, especially a lot of this like made in China, whatever kind of stuff is, it's all surface mount components. It can be so tiny to mm-hmm. do this really crazy sound and, I don't know. I just wonder that if I didn't have all the staples that I think I have now, what kind of stuff I would be buying. And I have to imagine it would just be whatever the cheap Amazon or eBay kind of stuff is. I would I'd be curious to talk to someone who's who is sort of starting out now and not mm-hmm. spending because I didn't have any damn money back then. 
Yeah. Yeah. Nobody does when they're first starting out. And it's, um, I mean, I still don't have any damn money, but it's like, uh, but I, yeah, I, that's actually a really good question too, because, you know, in, in my getting asked, you know, from a lot of, uh, you know, people who are just starting out, they're like, what do I get? And I, you know, because I haven't like you, I have a lot of older, you know, equipment, I can't proper, you know, I'm like, I can't vet this piece of equipment that is on Amazon, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, uh, so I, I don't want to lead anyone astray, you know, especially with their wallet. So I'm like, you know, just, you know, be patient, you know, buyer beware, but this might work or an approximation that's, you know, again, like, you know, ask somebody who might have it, or if, uh, if possible, like try it out, yeah. try out somebody else's, you know, if you've got a buddy or a pal, um, you know, cause I've done that too, especially with some, some, uh, artists who are like, you know, I want to use a contact mic on my so-and-so with an amplifier, but I don't have an amplifier. What amplifier do you recommend? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> don't, don't, you if you have a friend who has an amplifier, try it out first because yeah. every amp is different too. Again, it's like, you know, all of my amplifiers are old or expired. I mean, I still have, I have a lot of old PVs that just work like a charm, <laughs> but they're PVs and you can't find them anymore. So, it's like, you know, again, it's like, that's the $50 go-to amp from the nineties and right. the early two thousands. And it's like, Oh crap. I, I'm, I'm a freaking dinosaur with my gear. Cause <laughs> it, you know, again, it's like radio shack. They're like, you can't even use that reference now. Cause it's um, yeah. like, that's, that's, that's a different phase of capitalism and people don't have any point. That's why I never know. sold Paisos, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like it just, it's just not a, there's no, nothing comparable to it. Yeah. I mean, even Radio Shack before it went out was bare. You could, you could still get components, but yeah. you're in the, the dusty back corner in weird drawers. Now, even the stuff that used right. to have like hang tags and those drawers. blister packs, they put them in the drawer and you're like, why, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the the last fading one we had when I was living in Western Massachusetts and I didn't realize like, uh, you know, it, it, it was going to close basically in a month and that everything was just going to get liquidated and go on sale. Cause otherwise I probably would have gone in and those obnoxious, you know, sliding shelves and just like yeah. you know, housed it down. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, going in, I mean, uh, nobody has access. A lot of people don't have access to stores, at least in the USA that sell components. Um, I know that in Europe, it's a lot different. I remember breaking something, you know, I needed a, a nine volt battery adapter for my Evo cause it had finally gotten frayed and broken. I was like, you know, there was just a little store. It was in Grenoble and they, the, an electronic store right there. I was like, Oh, there it is. Boom. Just, I, I was saved or yeah. the Evo was, but we don't even have that. You can't go to a store and buy a nine volt, you know, adapter jack for anything to save your life. Not, I mean, they'll look at you cross-eyed at a hardware store, unless yeah. it's a really, really good one. Unless you're in a major, you know, I, I'm thinking like, you know, probably in New York and probably in Los Angeles and San Francisco and maybe Seattle, you could probably find that electric store or, you know, yeah. somewhere in, in, in a smaller city that still has the electric store with like, you know, these 
old guys. It's always old guys. Yeah. <laughs> running well, even in the Detroit, car, like, oh, you had to drive like 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes to get to the, the like electronics component store. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't in the city. It was like in one of the suburbs way out in a more, you know, you had to drive to Plymouth or something to go to the electronics store. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the city here. I mean, in Los Angeles, we were blessed with Amatron, which has unfortunately moved, but was like right near Amoeba, which was amazing. Go to, you go to mm-hmm. Amoeba and then go somewhere and pick up like cables and breadboards and just anything like that. Oh, I really nice. Loved being able to go there. <sighs> Was that the place you wanted to take me to? No, that had Apex all is where I want to take you. And oh, okay. next time, all right, next time I'm there because yes. I'll be there probably at the end of the year. Great, so. <laughs> we'll go to Apex. It is a, a wonderland. Yeah, you'll freak it, out. Did there. it survive the pandemic? I hope so. I have to imagine a place that can weather uh, the existence. There can a place that can sustain their existence in in like 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, or up to 2020 can probably make it through. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to hope, but I haven't been back out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, that's like one of the, uh, the, the things we have to do when we're back in person. And also we still have to <laughs> try and figure out how to build a, a, a piece actual, of crystal. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Yeah. I, I might even, uh, try a test run on that and then we can just kind of figure it out more in, in person. We could, well, we could, we could do a simultaneous zoom of us trying to concoct it. Um, I feel like for me, it's something that I could do outside. Um, (laughs) we have a, like the, the, the owner who, who built the house that uh, we're in here in Maine, there, there's like, there's like a rudimentary camp stove out in the woods. Perfect about it's about maybe 30 yards from where I'm sitting right now. Um, you can't he, tell, he, but crank is looking out the window, like peering. I'm looking style. out the window right now and you can't <laughs> you get a bunch of pine trees and you know, uh, my firewood. I sent you a picture of my firewood last oh, time. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> diminishing pile of firewood, but beyond the firewood pile is, a. <laughs> is there's a camp stove. And I was like, Oh, I could see like getting that fire going with like, whatever it is, the pot that I don't care about with the crystals. Yeah. <laughs> and I can still get Wi-Fi out there. We could stream it. All right. Well, I think we might have to figure that out then. Uh, I just don't know what the recipe is for the ingredients for building a piezo. So I will get that um, together. Cause I do have it. That'll be part somewhere. three. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Patreon well, look, as long as trashware exists, you're probably going to be a very regular trashware guest. Cause <laughs> we always have stuff to talk guest. about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you were, you were here for the first one and that's, <laughs> that's like, well, I yeah, I mean, yeah, this, this is the follow-up of the follow-up of the follow-up. Right, it's right. also, it's also great to, you know, it's like, you know, I think it's, we've talked about it, you know, before we were, uh, you know, before when we started the session, like just, I feel like, you know, the, the outreach that you're doing with the show is, um, you know, just so vital, um, for, you know, connecting the dots for everybody. I mean, what you and Mike and Tara are doing, or you're, you're, you're kind of creating an archive of a very important avant-garde that is, or whatever you want to call it underground that is so overlooked, um, by mainstream and, you know, blessedly so in so many regards, but you're, you're creating a component that is, um, where you're talking to the living artists who remember this and this and the, all the war stories it's connecting people. And what we're doing now is like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, after two years of, of hiding, it's like, gotta, gotta connect, gotta connect, gotta connect, gotta connect. So, well, thank you. We, we love doing this show so very much and and all all the facets of it (laughs) 
I know you're putting it out there and uh, like, I mean, I'm sure that it's not just people who are doing podcasts, but artists who put their stuff out on Bandcamp, like who oh, cares, absolutely. you know, or whatever, you know, like someone want, please watch my Instagram video, please. You know, it's like, you know, where, where we need human connection because there's no, you know, their shows are kind of irregular, you know, they're kind of happening and, you know, seems like, you know, down in Florida, they're always doing shows. And I'm like, be damned. You're like, fuck it. We're going to play, you know, like rat bastard and everybody like you guys, thank God you're doing it. Cause you're, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm waving my fist in, you know, solidarity, like up here in pandemic land, like you guys do it, man. You do it. So, Cause we're so tired of it. And, uh, but it's just, you know, it's the, 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 you know, just, the communication correspondence it's this is like as good uh as like back in the 90s when you know when we were getting cassettes in the mail and you're like oh my god oh my god connection you know <laughs> i love it <laughs> so. well we're so very inspired by that time you know that's that's the thing of it is like this this network is one of the most important things we have as the underground like mm-hmm. it, it's our communication and our sort of language and our systems of, of interacting and trading and even the commerce of like buying and trading stuff with, Mm -hmm. with each other and supporting each other's endeavors is uh, such an important aspect of what has made this community such a a strong thing and, and has continued to repel it from, you know, the early days of like mail art and not even having a name to where we're at now, where mm-hmm. you can have an idea, you can bang it out and you can have it on Bandcamp in five minutes, you know, and mm-hmm. like that's, yep. and, and start getting feedback and share it with people, uh, versus having to write a letter to Japan and then wait for a month to maybe get another letter back and then not maybe be able to understand each other. Well, between, you know, uh, not speaking the same language or having yeah. a, one of you, one of you only having a rudimentary understanding of the other's language to th- this just sort of instant communication. And you can send mm-hmm. me something and I can paste it in translate and figure, you know, figure out stuff. Right, like right. All, all of that is it's, it's, uh, it's only made this easier and in some ways can make it more difficult to, uh, right. to keep up with. So keeping up with it, keeping that spirit alive is very important. Well, uh, yeah. I've actually got to yeah. wrap up here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I think we touched on most everything. Yep. Yeah, except for the, I think I put the last thing on there. Funny or funniest or weirdest contact Mike anecdotes. <laughs> I don't really have any. Uh, me neither. And I no, felt they're, like they're you're all throwing funny. any pedal was like a good enough anecdote for, for that. So, uh, being yelled at by Ron Lassard, but when did that not happen? <laughs> right. Whenever I was playing it, Ron, like, what are you doing? What the fuck do you think you're doing? Plug it in, asshole. Um, and, uh, although I gotta say one time I got unplugged at a show in, um, Burlington, Vermont, and I was doing some weird thing with, I was amplifying water and I would sit in this, like, I had this like tub, uh, like a, those steel tubs that you can get at garden supplies. And oh, I yeah. could actually fit my ass in it. And I would like blub, blub around in a bub for apples or whatever the, you know, whatever the performance um, motif was that I was doing. And I remember I got unplugged and it was kind of a schmancy club. And, um, but I had so much volume going through the pedals. Um, it was like four EQ pedals that I was just like making, you know, no input feedback through the contact mic. And there was a cable, the, um, I, the, the naked Jack was on the ground and the contact mic was still duct taped to the steel tub. And I, I was splashing around like a baby duck and there were, uh, (laughs) the, the puddle was big enough that it was starting to inch towards 
the naked Jack. And I was still like doing my crank thing, like yelling and yodeling. And that puddle like made contact with the, uh, the Jack. And instead of like a horrific buzz or, you know, electrocution, um, it started to pick up the ghost sound. The more I wiggled and the more I wiggled <laughs> that ghost town, that sound of the contact mic started to go through the water, through the Jack. Do not do this at home. But it was, <laughs> you know, it was just like, Oh crap. And it got, it, I, you know, it was, it was a real kinetic contact mic moment of getting unplugged and serendipitous water spit, whatever shit going on. Yeah. And, it was like, Oh damn, here we go again. You know? And it was just like, yeah. And it just got bigger and heavier and heavier and heavier. It was just like, you know, just splashing around. Like I said, like a baby duck, you know, there's Mr. <laughs> Duckling Sturgeon doing his gurgle thing. It's like, you know, and, and a friend of mine at the show is like, you know, I guess it wouldn't be a crank show if something didn't go wrong. Right. I'm like, that's how you guys think of me. That's how I'm going to go down in history. <laughs> but I always persevere. Damn it. So, <laughs> it just goes back back to the whole thing. It's like, you know, if, if you, if you get unplugged and you know where that contact mic is, just make sure there's enough reach to that cable and you'll, you'll figure it out. So, um, <laughs> I, love it. um I think I'll, I think I'll end with that and right. be like, yeah, have contact mic will travel. So. <laughs> well, we're going to come up with yet another thing to talk about here soon. So, uh, thanks I'm sure, yeah. as yeah. always, we'll keep, for, we'll keep the summer open for the cooking. Yeah. So. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> as always, thanks for, for coming on the show and, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again.